Good evening and welcome to Alosa Fumar Takes. This is our 205th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Baird Plissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. Another two weeks in a row, great beards on the show. This is fantastic. Uh, from one interviewer to another, a pretty exciting interview indeed. So this will be a battle of the minds, a battle of the wits. Actually, we're probably just going to learn an incredible journey that I'm really excited to learn about. But hey, before we get to great introductions, let's thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has recently announced that Pappy and company and them are teaming up once again to add the new Gordo, a 6x60 Vitola for the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Premium Cigar Line. I feel like their alliteration is all over the place all the time, and it really tests my pronunciation and my skill levels and my diction whenever I read these ads. Like, seriously, Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Premium Cigar Line. That is a mouthful. You should get some. 6x60 Gordo, their, their latest release from this incredible series, crafted for connoisseurs who love large ring-gauge cigars. The Gordo will launch, um, actually launched last month and will be initially available for exclusively on Pappy & Company's website, pappyco.com, but it will then become available and accessible to Drew Diplomat retailers all over the nation next year in 2023. So check out pappyco.com. For the 6x60, the latest from the Drew Estate and Pappy and Company team effort, and uh, get yours today. So welcome, everyone, to our 205th take. It is my pride, my pleasure, my privilege to introduce tonight's guest, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today. Start living united. Mr. Nick Labretti of JR Cigars. Nick, how are we doing tonight? That was the most energetic intro I've ever gotten. In my in my whole tenure, so thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Ple- pleasure to be here. Oh, it's absolutely my 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 pleasure, Nick. I I I I think I I think I, me- I actually mentioned this last time uh, last week. Um, I I've, I've I've actually startled a few people. I'm pretty sure I might have I might have frightened Charlie Monado. Uh, I hey, and made him he's, al- skittish. he's skittish. So. <laughs> maybe maybe it made him almost instantly regret agreeing to be on at that time. So. <laughs> Oh, I love the energy, like, man. I love it. I luckily, love it. powered through. So you just transition hey. like, like very chill. Like, hey, all right, I'm going to introduce you in five, four. And he, it was, it was awesome. I love, I love the, uh, the showtime energy. Yeah, got it, got to get it, got to get it off and running, man. Especially, I mean, exactly. this, I, I mean, and a gratitude to you for joining me and all my guests always, but gratitude to you for joining me on such a late night. And I know you're on the East Coast. Most of my guests are East Coast people, so it's like already like past people's bedtimes and stuff oh uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in bed a half hour ago <laughs> <laughs> well but, i really I, I appreciate it very much oh no, man like this the listen you, you know your 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 show is great i i you know really really appreciate the uh the invite and everyone i've talked to in the industry who has been on your show or, or who knows you has nothing but respect for you so i definitely uh definitely wanted to do this well, I'm glad you didn't keep asking. You might have found out the, the real truth, but uh, that's I'm glad you you asked the right people. Uh, oh, yeah. At least the right people in my case. But I asked the guys behind your head right there, the, the, the Bradley boys. So. Yeah, good, 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 good call. Yeah, no, uh, you were mentioning we were talking about this a little bit before the show, like your close relationship with uh, with uh, with Alec and, and, and Bradley and uh, themselves. And and I've, I've had the privilege of getting to know them really well and, and becoming pretty close and stuff. So it was uh, it's it's been um, really great to see not only 
their their journey and but it was really funny because i saw alec at the great smoke and he was telling me about the basically the same thing like he was really excited to he's like hey you're at 200 now and i was like yeah just just did 200 and he's like he's like man that's crazy he's like wasn't i like on 130 something i was like no you're on 120 something so <laughs> so it's yeah. uh originally it's, but yeah they're 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 awesome they're they're journey like what they what they're doing and they're those guys are like fiercely loyal man like i i have i have grown really close with both of them and and it's just uh it's it's they take such an interest in the industry at large mm-hmm. um you know like you know sponsoring your show you know they've they've worked with me on a lot of stuff so yeah they're they're great advocates of the whole industry yeah i mean speaking of uh, working with you we're going to get more into like the whole concept later but uh the the latest cigar that i've i ordered from jr cigars is the the Alec and Bradley YU uh, project that they did with you. So I know we'll be talking more about that here in a little bit. Uh, um, but, uh, but speaking of, you know, kind of speaking of cigars, um, <laughs> I have three cigars in front of me here that um, I'm, I'm sad. It looks like you're indoors. So you probably won't be joining me tonight, but I'm going to be yeah, smoking tonight. Not, but. Um, but I have two here. I think that I think you definitely, I know one you absolutely love and I'd like to see what the other, the other two are, but um what your opinions of the other two are, but I would like you to pick my cigar tonight. Yes, so um, uh, here are your choices. Uh, the Moestra de Saca Exclusivo, uh, box stamped at January uh, 2021, so a little over a year old. Oof. And the Killer Bee Lancero, which came out of that, uh, that, that Hive box uh, special edition that they did uh, for Blackworks Studio. Incredible job by James and Angela. And um, hmm, I guess you like this cigar. The Alec and Bradley Kintsugi, the Corona Gorda, which was uh, your number one cigar of the year, if I'm not, in the if size I'm not mistaken. Too. It's in the size. It's in the right size. <laughs> they made my list, too, but it was the Robusto that made my, that yeah. made my list. Um, I think you're going to be surprised by my choice. I'm, I would suggest going with the Killer B. Okay. And I'm saying that only because I haven't tried it in the Lancero. So I'm interested to see what your thoughts are. And so that might make me want to try it. Whereas I, I, I think m- most people are sold on the Kintsugi and the Moisture de Saka, but the Killer B, you know, kind of a unique line from, um, from Black. That, that's from the, the studio, right? That's Blackwork yeah, Studio. Yeah, Blackwork Studio, yeah. Yeah. So like, especially in that size, kind of like a unique size. So like, I think that'd be a... a a cooler one to talk about. It's like you want to talk about the 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 cool, unique movie. We don't need to talk about you know Godfather anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have a chance to try their uh, the Intergalactic before it sold out? I did not. No. Oh man, that I, uh, was, that was pretty any good. any type of like really quick releases. Like these guys are just like the people like who who buy them. Like they're so on top of it. That by the time I remember, like a few days later, oh yeah, like these things are going on sale. Uh, I always miss out. Like any any dojo release that we don't sell, like sometimes we do them through JR. Any dojo release, a couple of days later, I'm like, oh yeah, they're doing that thing. Let me go tell you if I can get one. Nope, gone. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Also tried to. Speaking of soccer, the frog juice was just like that too. At Jeff Mutet's shop in Riverstone. <laughs> All his the frog juice, the red meat lovers. I'm like, I'm not even going to bother. Like by the time I even go, <laughs> I even really log on to this website, it's going to be gone. Like the, the, the computer's just going to tell me to F off at some point. Uh, you just log into uh, 
log into a Facebook group and like, hey, boys, tell me how it tasted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to live vicariously through the 200 people who got well, that that's what listen, our 50th stuff sold. Everything sold really, really well. We sold out of a lot of stuff. Steve's we sold out of in a couple of hours, like maybe it was like 12 or, th- or 18 hours we sold out of. And it was, and I, I think, listen, the cigar was great, but I think he was like testing himself because it was a very strange size. It was a big size. It was like a seven and a quarter by, I want to say it was like seven by 54, 56. It was a big, big smoke. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if like people are going to be down with this sold out. 500 boxes in like 18 hours. That's crazy, man. That's yeah, it it's there. There's certain, there's certain people in this industry, but it's just, it's it, that, I mean, that you just, it, people go, people go crazy for it. And, and I mean, and well-deserved too. I mean, well-deserved. It's not like, okay. he, you know, he's it's not like enough goodwill with like, I feel like this industry, when it comes to these special releases, like if it's, not good. Nobody really talks about it. Not, not, you don't really see like a ton of like bat, like people trashing, uh, like especially a limited release. But when it's very good, that's all people talk about. And every one of Steve's people constantly talk about the red meat lovers, mm-hmm. the frog juice, um, the one he did. Uh, what was the other one? The the Daruma. Um, the, yeah, the Daruma for uh, uh, Ronnie's shop. Yeah, the the one with the Wisconsin Comstock in it. Yeah, yeah, like. I mean, let's look how people, they were so stoked for for the, the Stillwell. Imagine anybody else coming out with a cigar with pipe tobacco. Everyone, that's a gimmick. I wouldn't buy that. Oh, that's going to be weird. Not only does he sell out of that thing constantly, it's really good. <laughs> you know, he's earned enough goodwill that like, we're just going to trust him with whatever he releases next. That was one of my favorite questions I've ever asked him. I love interviewing Steve. One, he always challenges me. Um, he's a challenge. And two, yeah. <laughs> and two it's uh, he, he he's just he's just a hoot to talk to. But uh, you know, that was the first thing I said. So I sat down with him. I said, "So okay, so let me get this straight. You spent the last eighteen months through COVID and all, screaming at the top of the lungs, top of your lungs, how Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust doesn't make a flavored cigar, and you come out with a non-traditional cigar. What the hell, dude?" I mean, it's essentially, <laughs> and I, I hope he doesn't hear me ever say this because it's mostly a joke, but it's essentially kind of like a black and mild because <laughs> that's what black and mild is, is, is pipe tobacco. So he made a premium black and mild. <laughs> he did one hell of a job with it though. Heck no, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, listen, he can, when it comes to his, his releases, he can do no wrong. Like each time he comes out with something, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. And then the next one, like I thought the Totos Los Dias was going to be my favorite cigar in perpetuity until the Tricky Traca came out. Now, the Tricky Traca, I still think is his best. Um, overall, I mean, at least personally, I, I think from the construction, the sizes he released it in, the overall flavor. I know a lot of people say they think it's stronger than the regular Mikarita. It might be stronger, but I find it smoother. I, I find it a little bit smoother. The the uh, original Mikarita is just deep, like yeah. the flavor is just deep, um, and but the Todos Los Dias I think is is always been is and has always been a sleeper for him. Um, I loved it from the onset. I thought it was fantastic, and now I, I don't think he anticipated this. You know, Brulee becomes such a became such a monster for him that he's he's pulling back to Todos Los Dias a little bit. It's not discontinued, 
Right. He's just pulling back because the tobacco he's got, he's got, there's some, there's a mutually used tobacco for brulee. And so he's, you know, he's not going to cannibalize his, his, I think it's his best selling product is the brulee. So um, the, the story of that cigar, the story of brulee, and then uh, how he was able to, like with the people saying it was sweet tipped and him transitioning that into one of the most genius, I don't want to call it, it's not a scheme, like marketing plans yeah. with, uh, with the, the ones with the codes the, on it. The, S, the STFU, yeah. yeah the I, STFU was Jesus. It was so smart. It was so creative. Like I, I couldn't, uh, I still say like, I don't, I don't know if he sweet tipped these things on purpose to cause controversy, but if he did, like it worked out well. It worked out very, very well. It does yeah. taste very sweet, though. I will say, it, yeah. There, there, there it is. A, there is a sweetness. We, we did it. So Coop and I did it. Um, we did a, dedicated a whole show to it. So like we yeah. went through the whole, the whole, um, the whole sampler. You know, cleansing our palates and everything, trying to figure it out. And I got pretty close. I was one off. I got pretty close. The uh, the double sweet tipped and the regular. Um, the regular brulee were the, for me, the easiest to identify. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was the, it was this, this, the single suite where I was like, hmm. mm. it was really interesting, but it kind of, it kind of, there were, there were some, there were some indicators that kind of, you know, kind of went my way. And I, I think I got lucky to be honest um, a little bit. I do have a pretty good palate, but it was, it was pretty lucky. Listen, I'm um, good. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, well, yeah, I know you're not smoking tonight, but are you uh, drinking anything other than the bottle of water? Anything special? No. So um, you you picked uh, me for a very weird time. I'm actually starting to train again tomorrow. I'm doing another half marathon in September. Uh, All I, right. I put off my start training for too many. I just moved into a new apartment. So like I was kind of just getting settled in and I bought all new pants. So I've been cooking a bunch of different stuff. And so I put off my training for too long. So like, tomorrow's my my start day. So I got to, uh, I got to be good tonight, unfortunately. Oh, it's all, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're, you said your this will be your second half marathon. Uh, third actually, third. but I don't count the first one. So the first one I did, I've done the, the Rocky run in Philadelphia twice, uh, both times with my brother. The first one I did 2018, I had no business doing it. I had barely trained. It took me like three and a half hours to finish, which is a long time. And I barely finished. Like I, I hobbled across the finish line. Then I did it again this past November um, and like two hours and 40. So I said like 45 minutes. Off. And I, it was like, I, I ran it. Like I ran it. I finished strong. Yeah. Um, so now me and my brother are going to do one in September in um, it's a town called Bird in the Hand, Pennsylvania. And it's the Amish half marathon. And the medal you get at the end is a horseshoe that they made for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh, that's yeah. a test i was yeah. like there's okay the amish half marathon how does this work like yeah it's just like, through <laughs> it's like you just run and there's just cows and like horses and stuff it's, it's okay be awesome. I'm, I'm that sounds cool yeah. yeah that's good it sounds that sounds like a lot of fun that's interesting yeah. and then the the horseshoe at the end that that uh that's for what, what a unique thing yeah so my, my brother is a is a runner um he's done the marine corps marathon he's done half marathons where you go, he's in the military where you got to wear like packs and stuff. And so he has like a, 
like a trophy rack or like a, it's like a rack in his, in his house where he has like all his medals. And I saw one, I'm like, what is this horseshoe one from? I was like, Oh, it's the Amish half marathon. I'm like, I want that. We gotta I, want do that. that. I want that so bad. So we're going to do it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Fantastic, man. Well, best of luck, man. I think you'll, you'll, Thank you. you'll probably cut off another big hunk of time too. That's what I found when I, oh I, yeah, I, I gave up Brendan uh, just because of, um, just time and stuff like that. But I was, I was, I was actually starting to run a little bit pre before COVID and then all, all of our schedules got thrown out of whack. We started working from home and yeah, everything like that and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm hoping to try and pick it up again. Um, I wouldn't be uh, anywhere close to half marathon though. I, I mean, I did a 5k and that was a victory for me, but, uh, Listen, but still, you, 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 start small. when you, once you get like, once I hit, in my training, because like for the first two weeks, I was really having trouble getting a mile, like like right. full full running, not sprinting, but like actually running for a full mile was tough. And I was calling my brother. I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. And then you just you just keep pushing, and it's hard, and it sucks, and it sucks, and your your time is terrible. Then once you kind of hit five miles, like you can do five miles, even if it's tough, it all starts coming together for you. It all starts like making more sense, and it got to the point when I was towards the end of my training, I would do two smaller runs during the weekend on the weekend, do a longer one. I wake up on a Thursday. I'm like, what am I doing today? I look at my phone. I'm like, Oh, I got to do six miles. No problem. And I would go out there and I would crush six miles in like just over an hour, you know, like, like, a, you know, 10 minute, 10 50 pace for six miles. And I was, I still looked like this. I was still a big guy. Um, but that's when I knew like, Oh, once you get into the rhythm of this and you know what to expect and you know what it's going to feel like, it becomes so much easier. Uh, so like, like I, the training for this is going to be way easier than the training I, I just did. Like it's going to be easier by a factor of 10. Yeah. Now the first time I hit a mile uh, was a, was a lifetime achievement for me. I hit, no, I, I feel that. Cause like that was, yeah. I never thought, I never thought in a million years that I could yeah. ever run a mile. Yeah. And, people, and people, who, people who run regularly don't get that. They're like, Oh, come on. It's just a mile. I'm like, dude, that's a, that's like 2000 feet. That's a lot to run and like not yeah. stop like and carry and carry this. Like that's yeah. a lot. To do. I'm like, why don't you do that in like, uh, I'm going to give you 80 pounds of weights for you to just hold. And then you do that. And let, you let me know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's uh, it was, it was really great. And that's, and that's why I want to get back into it. Cause it just, it felt so good. I never, I, I work out in the gym sometimes too, but I never feel and this is going to sound so bougie and cheesy to say I, never, <laughs> I after a like a, a good run even if i didn't do anything else that day i never felt better like my body my anxiety was down like my body just felt better i didn't get sick at all when i was still training for a couple of months i didn't get a cold or nothing like i just my body felt like in shape i might not have looked in shape but my body felt like it was in shape no, oh, yeah, you feel you feel like tons better. Absolutely, it's the endorphins and everything, man. That's totally. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm with you a thousand percent. Been yeah. been there, and it's fantastic. So good luck on that. That's going to be. Thanks, man. I appreciate. Excited, excited to see. I want to I want to see the pictures of the horseshoe. Oh, absolutely. Send the, so. Well, that will kind of lead us into tonight's major point, uh, which is always brought to you by the people, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well. Maybe it is. But behind the fun 
Behind the motivation is motivation for service and a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Bass Reeves, Protocol Cigars has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. Well, Nick, you know, we've uh, kind of took a, took a dive, you know, a little segue there into, you know, running and a couple of other things and everything. So um, wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Um, and so, and this kind of started, the reason I invited you on my show today was how I really, um, the one thing I really appreciate about you and your contribution to our industry is your, your interviewing style. And I've, I, you know, I, this is what I do. This is what I do for fun. And so I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and I listen to a lot of different people interview and stuff. And I really, I really like the way that you interview people. Um, it, it, ha- it reminds me a lot of mine, but our questions and our, our motivations seem different, uh, which is a good thing. And I've, I've, I've actually learned a little bit from you uh, that I really, you know, kind of try to build into the, build into this craft and everything, but I, I just enjoy the conversations that you have. Um, and so it's, it's, that's pretty much the reason uh, I uh, invited you on were the main motivation, and everything, but I wanted to learn a little bit about you. When was your first cigar? When did you, when did this all start for you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for the uh, for the con words, Bear. Coming coming from uh, you know, and anytime somebody that that I recognize as like a player in the industry has kind words, it it uh you know it affects me. So I I I, uh, I, I appreciate it very much. That's well deserved. Um, well, thank you. Uh, so my first my first legitimate cigar. I'm not going to count like a Phillies blunt that I would you know <laughs> chomp on when I was mowing the lawn when I was younger, but. I was 19, which was legal to smoke in New Jersey at the time at 19, this is many years ago. And it was my first premium cigar was a La Gloria Cubana Series R. Oh man. And I think it was like the last year that Ernesto was working for General. I didn't know at the time because I had no idea what I was smoking. But right. looking back at it now, I think 2009 was his last year before he right. started EPC. So it was the last batch of La Gloria's that like he was involved in. And, you know, La Gloria is still, is still great, but that cigar, and you know, listen, it's strong, you know, it's, you know, especially back then, uh, 2009, there was not a ton of very strong stuff, um, you know, out there as, as opposed to, you know, compared to now. So it was a strong smoke, but the flavors, the aroma, the, I like this. I liked how the band looked, you know, I, I liked the, the construction was phenomenal. I remember, you know, not, I didn't have to touch it up really at all. And at that moment I fell in love with, I, I knew this was going to be a thing I was going to, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be a career, but I knew it was going to be a thing I wanted to be a part of. Um, like, like just in, in like the, as, at least as a hobby. Um, and I applied to JR only like, six to eight months later for my first job. So it was a uh, pretty quick that I, I started working in the industry after that. It was a pretty quick uh, turnaround, huh? Yeah. 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 They, uh, no. they called me, they called me like the following, like, you know, a few months later and, uh, and brought me on for seasonal work. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that. So like, I mean, you graduated from Binghamton university in mm-hmm. uh, 2012, if I'm not mistaken, right. Or yep. 2010, 2012, 2012. Yeah. And, um, we got, to, I have a story about Binghamton here in just a second, but like, um, and then, yeah, I, I that, 
you started right 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 afterwards as a, you know in is there social social media i guess director or something like that right yeah so i uh i was hired in the summer of 2010 well they had my application on for a while um and i, I it's a quick funny story i remember i uh i needed a summer job i was home from college and i needed money for you know booze and food <laughs> and the essentials uh, yeah the essentials the, essentials. the college essentials and I had gotten a, I had gotten, I just had an interview that day and I had gotten a job at a bagel deli place, like a New Jersey deli <laughs> bagel, like a, a big bagel spot in, um, in Mottville where I was living at the time. And the guy calls me, he's like, all right, you're, you got the job. You start tomorrow. I'm like, Oh, cool. What time? He's like, Oh, you gotta be here at like five 30 AM to like get everything set to make the bagels. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to suck. Now these days, <laughs> 530. I'm, I'm up at 530. This is part of my schedule. I, I run or I work out, you know, I do all that. At 20, I was not getting, I was going to bed at 530. I was not right. getting up at 530. And I remember like, oh, I got to go there tomorrow. This is going to suck. And an hour after that call from, from Ellie's Deli or Eli's, I think we called it Ellie's Deli. Um, the HR department from JR called like, hey, we have your application. We, we need somebody um, like a part-time associate for the store, would you be interested in an interview tomorrow? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, what time? They're like, can you come in at 9 a.m.? And I'm like, yes. So I didn't, I just blew off the bagel place. I'm like, I'm not even gonna go. I didn't call him nothing. <laughs> I just didn't show up. Um, and I went there and they hired me part-time. So I worked, you know, helping some customers, cash registers, sweeping, cleaning the store. Um, that entire summer I worked whenever I could. Uh, it was the first job I ever had that I liked going to work, even though it was, it was a hard, you know, I was, listen, it wasn't, a, you know, a, a, a salt mine, but it was, you know, I was emptying the carts, putting those, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the store in Whippany, New Jersey. It, people, people don't understand working in a cigar shop is work. Like, yeah. It's fine. It's a lot of fun, but yeah. it's work. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, the Whippany store is huge. It's, yeah. it's a, a warehouse sized store. So like just putting boxes away, you're up and down ladders, you know, you're doing all kinds of stuff, cleaning the store, um, dealing with customers and all that. So I did that that whole summer. And, and then I would, you know, Binghamton was only two hours away. So anytime I had a long weekend, or if I had a schedule where uh, I had a, my last class on Friday was like early, it ended at like 10 a.m. I would go home and I would work like, the Friday night. And then I would work all day Saturday. I'd work the morning and the afternoon shift just because like, I didn't care. I was smoking cigars. I was working hard. I was making, you know, probably minimum wage at that time. But I did that. And that was my, my pocket money. I still never thought I was going to be in the industry. I was going to school for history. I was going to be a teacher. Graduate in 2012. I'm like, well, I need a full-time job now, you know, until I figure out my next move. So they hired me full-time and I'm like, great. So I was a full-time sales associate. Um, was taking some extra classes. Was gonna go for my master's, which was stupid. I should uh, I shouldn't have done that. It's a waste of time. <laughs> um, but then uh, within six months, somebody left, and so they hired me as a key holder for the store. So basically, you know, like, like a closing manager. So I would run some of the, some of the night shifts, or I would open the store on certain days. You know, I, I had the manager's card, so I was you know one of like four man. We had three other managers, a supervisor, and then the general manager. So 
did that for six months. And then me and my coworker, Anthony, who's still in, in corporate with me, um, he was a supervisor at the time. We had gotten a new CEO, Rob Norris, um, who people might know as he was a CEO of Altidus afterwards. Uh, but we had talked to him a few times and we were just kind of, you know, we had pitched to him like you guys really like for the internet, you know, for the, for the e-commerce site, you guys have no marketing going on. You have no social media presence. Like you have no content. Like this is where this is going. And after kind of badgering him, he brought us on. We had no experience. I was the, the social media coordinator. Anthony was our videographer. He had no camera experience. I had no, I didn't, I didn't even have an Instagram page at the time, like a, like a personal one. We had no idea what we were doing and we just grinded. We just worked it. We Googled best practices. We took courses on our own. Um, he figured out how to work the camera and do all the editing. I, you know, Instagram to say, you know, what hashtags to use, you know, how to do this um, for interviews. I watched a bunch of different, I, I, I never really watched any cigar related stuff. I would just watch like interview shows, listen to podcasts, like what's the best way to, to go about this. And if anybody watches those early videos, like we went through phases. Okay. I was wearing a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> Uh, my, my first interview, I was wearing like, like a pink shirt with a pink tie and a black vest. And I was interviewing Matt Booth. That was like my first sit oh. down. Oh my gosh. Your first you interview was Matt Booth. Yeah. I was 24. I had a clean face, clean shaven, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And he oh, was, God so bless cool. you. he was so cool about it. Like he, and he, but he, he didn't cut me any breaks either. He was still Matt yeah. Booth about it. He's still Matt Booth. Yeah. He was still Matt Booth. And then I remember, like, so that was our first sit-down interview. And the first thing, like, we ever actually filmed was we, we didn't even have the jobs yet. We were actually still working in the store. We had to get special permission from the store to leave. We went to the first Kentucky Barn Smoker um, for Drew okay. Estate. And we filmed that. And then they had, like, a pipe show in Nashville the next day. And we filmed that. So really, my first interview, I guess, was Jonathan. Um, but, yeah, it was just, we just grinded it out. And the... It all came down to cigar knowledge. Like I just read everything I could: aficionado, coupe, half wheel, um, any review site, anything that was related to cigar news. You know, the cigar industry. I went to all the manufacturers' home pages and read all of the bios and the about us section. I just absorbed everything so that when we it would get somebody into this, you know, the studio at that point, it was basically just an empty room. Um, I was prepared and I, and I, I had a background on them and also got a vibe. I'm like, Oh, is this a family tradition or are they more of like kind of like the, a marketing guy? Like, like, what is, what is the story here? And so, yeah, it just kind of blossomed from there. I mean, there was a period there where we couldn't like, we couldn't pay a manufacturer to, to, come to us to be filmed. Like we had to beg people, please let us interview you. You know, we're going to get 10 likes. And it's going to be fine. So <laughs> we, it was, it was very humble beginnings. I will say. But I think some of that absorption is actually still, it's still with you. And I, and I know you still obviously do prep before interviews. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very clear to everything, but like that, that, that foundational knowledge, some of the early stories and stuff, when you interview people, that have had long tenure, like we were talking about your recent interviews with uh, Sean Williams and Michael Hartklotz, like just some of your, like some of the questions that you brought up were like, 
referencing their story from early on in their days and stuff like, you know, Michael at the Berkeley, uh, you know, at Berkeley and, and Sean, you know, when he uh, started with El Premier Mundo and things like that. So it's uh, in his days with Placencia and stuff like that. So it was just like, it, it's, it's clear that that foundational knowledge still has stayed, has stayed with you and everything. So going, going back to Binghamton. So I can't think of Binghamton. Um, I know it, it was university, but I can't think of Binghamton without thinking about the movie Rounders. Have you ever seen Rounders? I have not. That's the card movie, like like. Ben it's Affle- the card with Matt Damon and Edward Norton. So yeah, and Edward Norton. So there's a there's a there's a huge scene in Binghamton. Um, it's like the it's it's actually like the climax of the film, where they're 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 trying to earn this money back that they owe like the gangster, which is John Malkovich, and they're running hot. And there's a game that Edward Norton, who's just a fucking deadbeat, um, and uh, and. He, there's a game that he knows about from his time in prison in, up in Binghamton and it's all cops and like prison guards and stuff like that. And like, he's like, we can't, we gotta, we gotta play this game straight basically. So anyway, push comes to shove Matt Damon's cleaning house, but then Edward Norton comes in, tries to cheat. They get caught. They get the shit kicked out of them, kicked out. And that's kind of like the climax of the film. But every time I think of Binghamton, I think of that. Cause that's, that's where it takes place is it isn't is, in, is yeah. in Binghamton. So it sounds like it would happen in Binghamton. People getting the crap beat out of them at a card game is a very Binghamton story. <laughs> yeah, the, that, uh, so how did you end up? So how did you end up becoming a Bearcat? Like what? It, uh, and, and, and why history? Because th- I was a double I was a double major broadcast sports broadcasting and history. I'm obviously using one of those things now. Um, but you were just a history major and, and we're kind of doing the same thing, which is really kind of this yeah. is kind of cool when I heard this. So, um, well, first, why Binghamton is because so my, my dad is from New York originally. He's from um, uh, Queens, uh, Flushing. You could see City Field from where he grew up, uh, Shea Stadium when he was a kid. But we were at like college night in high school one night and we see all these different booths. We're going to the booths and my dad's like, oh, we got to check out Binghamton. And I'm like, what is that? No, I never, never heard of it before. And we talked to the lady and, uh, and apparently I was told it was a good school. I come to find out it is a very good school. Um, and it's even a better school now than when I got into it. It is almost impossible to get into Binghamton now. It is, it is basically for people from the city and Long Island who get into Ivy League but can't really afford it. Do they go to Binghamton? So I had roommates. And I, I was actually, oddly enough, I was at a, a, a wedding two weeks ago for uh, uh, my old, one of my old college roommates. And there was like 15 of us there. It was like a little reunion. They're all doing way better than I am. They're all engineers and project managers and working on wall street. And these were guys, these guys were savages, you know, when we went to college, but they were all super duper smart. Um, I think I got in cause I was out of state and it was kind of like, uh, Oh, get some out of state kid in here. Some Ginzo from New Jersey to kind of liven up the place. So that that's where I was going to ask. You're from New Jersey originally, right? Yeah, I'm from North. Yeah, born and raised North Jersey. Haven't left except for my four years in Binghamton. Um, so yeah, so that that's why Binghamton. My my dad had just knew you know it, it's the best of this of the SUNY schools, the state universities of New York. So there's Albany, Buffalo. Um, there's a bunch of them, uh, and Binghamton is like the top tier one. Their engineering school uh, is like bar none. It's one of the best in the country. I did not go into engineering. <laughs> So I went into history because I always liked history. Um, I remember when Titanic came out in 97, I was seven years old. 
And for some reason, before that movie was even a, a trailer or anything, for two years before that, to go back to when I was like four and five, I was already very much into the Titanic. <laughs> I had several okay. books. I had like this thick book with like, it was like the anatomy of the Titanic. It was all the different like blueprints and how everything built and how everything functioned. So I saw that movie in theaters three times when I was seven years old because I was just into the boat. I didn't care that she was nude or there was action. I just wanted to see the boat. That's some so, serious dedication from your parents, yeah. man. That's six hours that they sat with you in the movie theater yeah. or whatever. My, my parents were very cool with me in movies. I saw Private Ryan when I was eight in theaters. They took me to see that twice. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, my, well, my, you know, I come from a, 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 a line of veteran. My, my dad didn't serve. My grand, both my grandfathers served. My dad was in ROTC. Uh, my brother's in the Air Force. So like anything involving military, we took it not super serious, but like we there was an understanding. It wasn't just about guns and blowing up. You know, I was from a young age, I was able to understand the uh, the seriousness and like what this what all this stuff meant. And I was able to put it in context from a, a relatively early age. So I was very much into that stuff. So then I'm 17. Who knows what they want to do at 17? The people who know what they want to do at 17 in my mind are psychos. And those are all my successful friends. They all knew. They all went to school for the right thing. I'm 17. And then somebody puts a piece of paper in, in front of me. Like, you want to, like, what, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Well, what do you like doing? I like history. All right. So be a history major. Sign this paper. Now you owe us a hundred grand in five years. <laughs> and so that's what happened. They just, people, a bunch of people, you know, my parents and counselors and everything. Like, what do you like to do? I'm like, I like history. Well, go do that. All right. I'm just going to go do that. Um, so I tried to do that and it's hard. It's hard to do. It's not a, it's not a super lucrative industry. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what my plan was there. I was, I was most likely going to try to be a teacher, but I don't think that would have worked out. I probably would have ended up working a part-time job and getting a PhD and then maybe doing something like, you know, writing a book. Yeah. Like teaching I, college, I, writing a book. Yeah. yeah that's, maybe a teaching that's... college. That's what um, history majors do. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole point of learning history is just to teach the next group about history. There's no, you know, I wasn't going to be an archaeologist, but I, 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 you know, I, I, I would have made a fine professor. I would have been a cool guy like on a history channel. The guy with like the suede jacket and a pipe, you know, talking about <laughs> Napoleon's retreat from, from Waterloo or from Moscow. I, I could have done that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's why history is just because I liked it and I was 17 and I had no idea if I had any inclination that I was good at any of this stuff, I would have gone for marketing. I would have gone for business. I would have gone for communications. You know, I'm, I'm, everything that I do now is just, you know, the research and then raw. Yeah. 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 Just just instinct. (laughs) It's great. It's no, it's, it's, it's really impressive. Nick, because yeah, like you would think that there was somewhere in your background that you were able to pick this up and this is all self-taught. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's where it's, that's where it's really impressive. I think the history thing is funny for me too, because I mean, I was that kid in high school class, history class, close to every history class. There was that one idiot that was like, when are we going to use this in real life? And I just wanted to drop that kid in the next week. Like, just yeah. shut up, man. Like history repeats itself like i you know i knew that at a young age i enjoyed history i loved it i still love it i still um i, I mean, i'm, I'm just one of the only things it. that i that i still it, it's like history basic math and like english are the only things i utilize now i can tell you a single thing that i know from my chemistry class right not a single thing 
but history, you know, it's, it's taught me context. It's taught me different cultures. It's taught me the importance of learning different cultures. I can see somebody now. Um, I, I have a friend from work, uh, Pavel, who works with us, who is Sikh. He's from the Kashmir area um, region of, of India, of Northern India. I was able to tell that he was a Sikh because of how he dressed and, the, and what he wore. And it gave me more insight into who he is. You know, it wasn't just like, you know, oh, he's generic. He's from somewhere else. It, I, was able to, yeah, I was able to understand it. And he was impressed. Like, oh, you know what a Sikh is? And I, I had basic knowledge of it. But that more than has, most people. Yeah, that has lent me more than anything I've learned about, you know, chloroform. Well, it's interesting you mentioned context because I think that that is what get, that's one of the most powerful things that history gives you and me uh, when we're talking about the profession that we have. Well, this, yeah. that this is truly your profession. I do this part time, but like it's it's your it, passion, though. It's it's the it's it's absolutely the reason that the I think why why we we share a similar style and stuff when we're talking is you know and having these conversations is context. A perfect example. Um, it was a show that you did very recently, um, obviously, just a couple of weeks ago that had absolutely nothing to do with cigars. And it was it was the aftermath of the Will Smith slap mm-hmm. where it was I found that I was I was glued to your discussion with your partner. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say that the name's escaping me right now. I'm so Peter sorry. Chris. It's Chris. Yeah. So. um my apologies to him. Um, so, but it was just, it was a fascinating conversation between you guys. And there was a lot of discussion with, you know, like just relevance and con, you know, context and everything. It wasn't just the, the actual incident in itself. And it was, it was, it was just, it was must listen. And I encourage anyone to go back and listen to it because it was really, it was really good. It was probably one of the more unique, I'll use my own work, take <laughs> on the whole thing. Um, just well, because. You, you, ha- well, you have to look at everything through you, you can't look at any anything in the world through one lens mm-hmm. um, because Correct. everything the, the, if you just look at everything through your natural lens, you're only looking at it through your experiences and what you know from what you've encountered in your life. And do you know how many other people have had that experience? No one. Only you have had that single experience. So to Look at anything from just your viewpoint, in my mind, has always made no sense. You've got to look at it in context from, from a different viewership, you know, a di- different viewpoint, because that's the only way you're going to be able to, to maybe grasp, you know, what was the impetus behind something? Like, what was the reasons for this happening? Um, because to somebody like me, it, it, to most people that what he did, uh, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but like, Oh, it makes no sense. He's a crazy guy. And like, he is, he was totally wrong in doing it. But when you look at this man and when you look at what he has been through and what he has to deal with, not just from the media, but honestly within his own family, because I think this, he's got a crazy situation there. And you read some of the stories of how she's treated him and what she said on radio shows about Tupac and she didn't want to get married and this whole thing. And you start putting the pieces together and you see like, all right, like, I don't think he should have done it, but like I, the, the guy just lost it. Like it was, you know, and so when you yeah. look at the different avenues, it, again, it's not something I would ever do or I agree with, but it makes sense. It, it makes more sense now than it did the night that it happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it like, you know, 
it's it's one blip you know the man's being punished you know he he's banned for 10 years you know he probably he probably may never be considered for an oscar ever again you know let's just face it which is a shame um you know the only thing that would have been better is if after he slapped him he was like welcome to earth i would have liked to have seen him yes yes throw a reference in there you know, and then just pulled out the cigar, would have capped yeah. it off, you know, sit on sit on top of him or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, just make it. I mean, if you're going to be over the yeah. top, just make it over the top. At that well, point, he, here, the, in, in reality, he had <laughs> just to like fix it that night when he won his Oscar. He could have just done a total mea culpa and just been like, I can't believe that. I am so sorry on this biggest stage. Chris, I can't believe that. I don't deserve what you guys are giving me. You got and he could have done that whole thing. And people might have felt a little sorry for him, and then like, oh man, he he, it was a because it was you know it was just an, an instant bad decision. But no, he like went to the oh I'm a protector of family, and I'm I was playing the yeah. role of the guy in the movie, and it's like all right, you've had an hour now to decompress and think about it, and you're still kind of full of shit. Excuse me for the cursing. Oh, you're good, Ben. Right. Um, I know um, you. I know you guys bleep your stuff on mine. I'm I'm good. Okay. Let it roll. Right. Perfect. Um. So yeah, I was just kind of like, uh, you 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 could have gained a lot back by, you know, fixing it then. And he didn't. And then, you know, had some, some BS publicist release the next day. Um, I think now, even before the Academy punished him, I think he realizes the gravity of the situation and he really does regret it. Um, that's why I, I, oh, I think when he, when he resigned the Academy, I'm like, all right, he's taking this seriously now. And this is, he's not going to hide behind the, I was protecting my wife thing. He realizes this was a, a, a big deal. And I think the, the biggest deal of all, like what really makes it bad, like, listen, Chris Rock is fine. It didn't really hurt him. He rebounded yeah. and he's going to make a ton of money on his comedy tour. But this is Chris Rock. He is a top five comedian of all time. Legendary. People will know his name for years. But now, when people think of Chris Rock forever, it will be because of the slap. Yeah. And so that's like, it's not that you just slapped him on. It's it's the reputation and the legacy that both of you have spent 30 years, which also as African-Americans couldn't have been easy either. Like they're both icons, not just like, oh, he's a, you know. An icon of the African-American community. No, they broke barriers. They were huge. They're the top of the top of the top, just mm-hmm. in general, for acting and for stand-up comedy. And now, like, I'm not going to say that those reputations are totally tarnished, but there's like a, there's a thing now. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a bad, there's a bad tag on them. Well, Will Smith was easily transitioning into this, this, see, my favorite actor of all time. Um, all time is Denzel Washington. All time, I see everything that he's ever done. I'm a huge fan of everything he's ever done. He was nominated this year for Macbeth. Yeah, he was. That was fantastic. He was unbelievable in Macbeth, and he uh, he also like. He, and this is a man that I that I adore. Right, I adore watching his performance. I think he's an incredible actor. He made me hate him in his Oscar winning role in Training Day. He made me hate him. That's how great of an actor he is, and. And Will Smith was kind of was going to be the next Denzel. He was well-liked, affable, you know, and very charismatic. 
uh, not in my mind, not as good of an actor, but certainly, certainly in the, in the, in the, in the, in the mentioning of it. And he was going to, and now he's not going to be from one, yeah, one poor I, decision, one poor ass decision and your, your future is ruined. I think he, he had opportunity to do more Denzel stuff, but I think he, early, like, you know, and he, and he did like his, you know, when he was in Ali, when he was in uh, I, uh, pursuit of happiness, I thought he, he there was even though I thought the, the movie was crap. Um, I am legend. The one scene after what happened with the dog, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, when he's crying in the video, <laughs> start talking to a mannequin like that was gut, like heartbreaking. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think early on in his career, he had his mindset that he just wanted to be the biggest movie star ever. Um, like the biggest box office, like all the time. And you don't really, you can't really do that while doing like nuance Macbeth. Yeah, like <laughs> while doing Macbeth training day probably did well but i don't think training day made like 300 million dollars probably even no whereas no. just just independence day i think did 500 million yeah uh, men in black like all the men in blacks you know i think there's like a over a billion dollars for the three men in blacks for the original three so i think that was like more like he just wanted to be and, and also the movie industry has changed which um me and chris have talked about because obviously, besides cigars, we're also both really into movies. Um, the, the industry has changed where these kind of big budget, star studded, but nuanced movies like a Private Ryan, like a Schindler's List, like a Ben Hur, or, you know, like, like movies with a, yeah. with, with a big cast, of, you know, star making potential that also do a ton at the box office. They don't really make those anymore. It's right. now, I, I, mean, I guess Dune was like as close, like it was like, you know, is in the realm. But now it's like either like Marvel, DC, big budget, but more for everybody, little kids, adolescents, or the movies that are made for adults are like Power of the Dog and Coda, which like, listen, nothing against Are going to be but... streaming. Yeah, they're on Netflix yeah. and yeah, th- yeah absolutely. Yeah, like, and, and no offense against Coda. I'm, I plan on watching. I've heard it was a fantastic movie. I did not hear about that movie until the Oscars. I had, very good. I had, yeah, I had no idea that movie existed. Um, Power of the Dog, good. I only heard about because uh, um, Sam Elliott said some pretty rough stuff about it. And I'm a, I'm I, a big Sam Elliott fan. But, I'm uh, a big Sam Elliott fan, too. I didn't hear those comments, but I, 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 I thought... Cumberbatch was 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 really good in it, but overall I didn't like the film, which was disappointing because I'm a big Western fan too. My yeah. I grew up watching John Wayne movies with my father, um, so I'm always I'm a sucker for a Western every time. I, that's why I thought like I loved I loved Denzel's Magnificent Seven. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, I, I I like a traditional like Western. You know, I, I you know nowadays they're they're always trying to make it you know more nuance and like, what is the character really feeling? And like, Oh, what if this happened to them? And that's like, uh, can we just, uh, how about like, like open range? Like I feel like open range is like the last great Western. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was drama. It was heavy, but then it had like a 15 minute fight at the end. Um, yeah, it had Robert Duvall in it, which is, you know, he's the mm-hmm. champion, Kevin Costner, who's now rock- like Yellowstone. My dad literally likes Yellowstone. I have to get into that show, but like I heard Yellowstone is like a Western. It's basically like, a yeah, Western. absolutely. No, hundred percent. The other one, if you haven't watched it yet, that I really love is uh, Three Ten to Yuma. The 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 the, oh, the with, remake. Oh, uh, with Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe, yeah, yeah. In- incredible. 
two guys that if they slap somebody at the Oscars, I would not be surprised at all. Right. If, uh, if, if Russell yes. Crowe slaps somebody at the, I, I would be, I would be more like, oh really? Oh okay. I'd be like, oh wow, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, makes sense. yeah. He was probably he was probably drunk. You know, like I'm surprised just... he hasn't hit somebody yet. <laughs> He's probably thinking to himself. That he probably dodged a bullet for not being the first person to slug somebody at well, the Oscars. I, I don't know if you saw it, but like Fox News was interviewing Mel Gibson and they were like, so the Oscar slap, blah, blah, blah. So there's been talk that if you were the guy to hit somebody at the Oscars, that there would have been much more trouble. And the entire time Mel Gibson's like, don't ask me, don't ask me. And then they ask it. And then you just hear Mel Gibson's like publicist like in the background. All right, that's enough for today. Thank you. And they just cut the interview off. <laughs> He's like, I just got back into Hollywood's good graces. I'm not getting in the middle of this. No, <laughs> absolutely not. not. This. Absolutely not. So um, fi- funny, uh, funny segue there. But it just I think that um, it, it's it, the con- going back to context and everything. It's it's really shaping your interview, like your interview style and everything. So you said you, you like absorbed a lot. Was there was there an interviewer or a person that like you like, again, this is all self-taught. So like. Was there was there someone that you like really liked their style or that you were like, yeah, this is this is what I want to go for when I'm having conversations and interviews with people? So I hate to I hate to kind of say it now because um, it, it didn't influence me early on. But recently, especially with the new studio set up and now that I've gotten more comfortable, you know, uh, podcast interviews, you know, the Joe Rogan style yeah. conversational interview has has definitely influenced me. Um, but before that. It, it, it was still a conversational style, but it was more because I didn't know how to interview. <laughs> so I'm like, if I can just, I, I knew how to get something out of somebody in a conversation, like me and you just talking, having a cigar at a table talking. If I want to know something about you, I know how to get it out that way. I know how to make segues to get to a point or to get to a question. But in terms of like filling out like 10 questions, I didn't know how to do that effectively. So I just did it. I'm just like, I'm just going to talk to these people. I'm going to have ideas in my head of what I want to talk about. And I got to make sure I want to mention these, these 10 cigars or, or, or there was this big thing that they released last month. And I want to make sure I get to that, but I'm not going to be here. Like, so you're releasing something new next week. Tell us about it. I didn't want to do it that way. Right. Well, I would start off with a question and then lead into a conversation and then, you know, play off of their answer and then figure out, you know, on the spot, all right, how do I segue that into talking about this? And then I would talk about that and BS about this topic for a while. Like, all right, now I didn't want to ask them about this. So how do I bring it back around to here? And it was tough, but it eventually, you know, listen, I'm still not great at it. Uh, you know, there's still much better people. Um, in the industry who, who, than, than me when it comes to interviewing. But I, it, I just, I want to know about you. And the best way to know about somebody is just to talk to them. It's not to, you know, if you go on a date and you're like, tell me 10 points about you, it's going to be a short date. You know what I mean? But you engage somebody in conversation, you learn about them through that, through a, you know, a, a more natural way. It just makes it much more interesting. Um, one thing I will say that I try to do um, that's always been important to me. And this also is, is evident and how we handle our social media too. The manufacturers in my mind are the stars of everything. They are the cigar celebrities, them and their product are what's important. I am not important. And I, I kind of tell myself that going into an interview, I, 
I want the entire, I want to give them the space. I want to talk as little as possible. Like you're doing right now. <laughs> Let me blabber on. Uh, I want to talk as little as possible and give them the floor so they can talk right to the customer because the customer doesn't want to hear from me. They want to hear from them. So the focus at all times is on them, not me being like a late night host and trying to get a quip in and trying to do a thing. At all times, the focus is on them. Let them tell their story. Let them tell their process because that is going to translate better for the customer, for the viewer um, than, than, than me. No one wants to hear from me. You know, I'm just a, a middleman between who they really want to hear from. So that's how I've kind of always treated it. Yeah, the I've, I've often said this about my own show. Is like I, the, the questions that I ask are about like the story behind the story, behind the story, right. behind the story. Like there are things that I'm interest, genuinely interested in hearing about, um, which sometimes makes for, I'm sure, uh, a less interesting interview for some people. Um, but at other times, it leads to fantastic interviews. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite, one of, one of my f- two favorite interviews of all time, uh, was very similar to tonight was Miguel Chaudel, who yeah. my, f- my first interview with him, um, did not know him at all. We met that night, similar to actually similar to tonight. Um, yeah. you know, we knew Nick and I knew of each other, everybody, but we've never actually met, uh, formally or anything. And, uh, so this is our first, first conversation really. And that was, you know, Miguel and I found out that we had like these strange, uh, you know, you know, things in common, like we have this love of presidents and, and baseball, and uh, we're both like kind of obsessed with them. And it's, it's, it's really, you know, it, it made for a really great conversation. Um, it, so I, it, it is similar in the way that you do it. But speaking of like, the style of interview, you mentioned the new studio that you guys set up. I love the new setup because it is very relaxed. You guys have the, the you guys have the nice easy chairs. The mics are set up for you in front. I've you know I've got a headset, and but it 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 has that very conversational cigar lounge yeah. feel to it, which is perfect. I think for the way that you the way that you like to kind of like you said spotlight them. Um, so. Did you have a hand in designing the new studio or is it, is this part of your vision, you and Chris, or did you guys, did, were you kind of saddled with this? How did, how did the new studio come about? So I don't want to take full credit, but yeah, I had a, I had a pretty significant hand in, uh, in design. So the original basic idea for that style came from actually Anthony, who um, I used to do videos with. He's like I said, he still works with us. Any of our fans know who Anthony is. He's, he's been around a while. Um, but Anthony had the idea years ago. He's like, Oh, what if we got the different logos from cigar companies? And we like got stencils made and we like spray painted it on the back wall. I think that'd be so cool. Anthony always has the best idea, but he always has it like five years too early. (laughs) He's thinking so far ahead, but it's, it's always too. So at the time I'm like, that's stupid. We are never going to be able to do that. It's a whole thing. And then, um, you know, we kind of, we have new bosses, not new, you know, past couple of years. And then once COVID kind of subsided and we were back in, you know, they're like, listen, we will give you guys, you know, whatever you need. We want to get you out there in the field. We want to get you out there interviewing people. We want more content. You know, it's really, it's really growing. It's becoming a big thing. What do you guys need? And I'm like, we need a new studio. Uh, I don't want to bring people up there, you know, with a, with a painted white wall and a, and a fake backdrop. So I was working with Chris, who's our, our lead videographer. And I'm like, dude, we should get cigar logos for the back wall. And at first we were going to do the stencil thing, but then 
one of our creative designers like hey there's a company that makes like these the tins they're like they're like they're they're vinyl decals oh they look like tins they're vinyl okay they're vinyl decals that stick to the wall oh wow okay but you can pull them off and then you can put them back on and they stay stuck it's like this this weird adhesive that they have that it'll go on and those have been up that we have we we had one fall down once and it was because it came it was shipped like rolled up and so there was like wrinkles and stuff in it and so it was like in it and it fell but otherwise those things have stuck up there um and yeah we've got the carpet carpet also works for a little sound dampening because it's a big room but yeah we want to create a very relaxed and I, I tell everyone when I sit down with them, especially if it's the first time, I'm like, hey, we're just having a conversation. Sometimes they're like, oh, if you can, you know, if you're, if I'm interviewing somebody like really big, like a, like a Nestor Placencia or like Jonathan Drew, maybe somebody will, like, one of his people, will, look, if you can send us like a list of questions and I'm like, I can send you a list of ideas of what I might talk about, but like, this is not going to, this is not hard hitting. This is in 60 minutes. Like, it's just yeah. going to be a conversation. I'm not Charlie Rose. Yeah. 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 Uh, like if, if they say something in the midst of having a conversation and they decide that they don't like it, we can cut it out. We can edit around it. Like there's, there's no pressure here. Like we're not, it's not, we're not doing gotcha journalism. And, and one of the ways, and we mentioned it in that Will Smith episode that we even handle the podcast is listen, you know, we're a cigar company. We advocate, you know, that that's what we sell. That's our business. But when we're doing the podcast, just me and Chris, one of the things we really wanted to emphasize is that you know when you're hanging out with somebody and you're most people that I smoke cigars with are not big cigar smokers. They smoke on occasion. Mm-hmm. So w- when I'm hanging out with them, very little of the conversation has anything to do with cigars. I'll explain to them what I gave them because you know, I'm always giving it to them. I'm not they're not bringing their own stuff. <laughs> um, I'll explain to them like what I gave them, kind of what it's made out of. Here's what to expect. And then that's it. You don't sit there and analyze every little pup. I'm going to tell you about this. And, oh, you know, this guy was, you know, you know it was me. Usually when you're smoking a cigar, very little conversation is about, unless you're like at a hearth, unless you're at like a cigar thing. Otherwise, if you're just hanging with your friends, you're talking about, you know, the Yankees who are two and one right now. Um, you, just try to, you just got ahead. To, you had to rub that in, right? Yeah. Well, are you a Red Sox fan? <laughs> I'm a Red Sox fan, man. <laughs> Oh, you're from you're from Texas, though. Yes, right. my father's side of the family's from New England, though. So I'll take you as a Red Sox fan any day over being an Astros fan. They 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 have superseded the Red Sox in terms of villainy for the New York Yankees. Fair enough. Oh, good. Oh, that's like, nice. And I'm I'm actually going to Houston in a few weeks for the Texas Cigar Festival, and like I'm going to give that city a piece of my mind. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna just find random people and be like, "You guys cheated." <laughs> um, start going up to people with like a trash can and bang, just yeah, start bang, banging around the city probably probably end up getting shot Houston's a tough town <laughs> um, but yeah I, I like to make it the this is what you do when you smoke a cigar it's conversational the top topics range and sometimes when I talk to some of the manufacturers that the topics may even range because I want to espouse the essence of a cigar, not just we got, cause listen, man, and you know this because you've, you've interviewed 
you know, 200 people and you've watched other interviews, there's only so many times that Alec and Bradley can talk about the inspiration behind Kintsugi. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's only so many times Pete Johnson can talk about the monster series. There's only so many times you can ask Carlito about Opus X. People know this already. You know, it's one thing if you were doing, if we were all doing this, you know, 10 years ago, but it's people talk about it. like it, it, all this stuff is out there. There's articles and there's, there's coop, there's you, there's a half wheel thing. There's an interview over here. They're, they're on their own social media talking about it. So I try to bring something else or we do as Chris as well. We try to bring something else to the table as well. What can make this more unique? You know, what, what can still give the viewer insight into what the manufacturer is thinking without being like, so what are you thinking about when you're making this blend? How else can we get there? And sometimes right. it's subtle. Sometimes the things that they kind of, you know, talk about or, or come upon in a conversation um, is like a, a, a subconscious inspiration for some of their projects that people didn't even know about. That's happened, you know, a few times where somebody, you kind of like, oh, that's really, that's why they're really into that. Or that's, that's how that came about. And it's, and it's interesting, but we wanted to just have that very relaxed cigar smoking vibe you know, that we, we don't think of ourselves as like media. We don't think of ourselves at, well, we, we do to an extent, you know, when we can get media access to places, but uh, we don't think of ourselves as like journalists or we're going to get the news or, or like a Joe Rogan where we got to get to the bot. We're just talking to interesting people. Absolutely. So, no. and, and the studio is, is, is resemblant of that. Just a relaxed place to, to talk about it, fun things. Well, you mentioned this uniqueness too, and that was that was a word that you were. I, rem I remember your top twenty, your most recent top twenty-five episode, where you you kept using that word, and you you almost cursed yourself because you're like, I, I keep saying this, but I shouldn't. Uh, but you talked about, but when we talk about cigars, they're uh, especially nowadays, the ones that kind of stand out, they do have their, they do have something unique, as he said, and and something that is interesting about this industry, we love as an industry, we love good anniversaries, right? We love celebrating tradition and every, and milestones and things like that. Even myself, like for my 200th take, I had Carlito Fuente on. So, I mean, it was, it was a big deal to, to, well, to have him my on. number. I've been trying to get a Fuente on for years. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was no small feat for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it was such a great conversation. And, um, and it's something that I, I find that very rare do companies do consistently well you know Davidoff is a great example their 50th anniversary a few years back was incredible uh Altidus did a great thing with the Monte Cristo 1935 the Nicaraguan was I mean a stellar cigar to celebrate you know to celebrate that iconic moment and something completely different like that was that was that was the best part about it was like we're going to honor Monte Cristo in the story and we're going to come out with something completely different in the Monte Cristo, we're going to create a new story for Monte Cristo, which was really cool. And, and, and then, but there are some companies that just suck at it. <laughs> like they're just, they're just not very good. Um, and I mean, how, how do you let huge anniversaries for like Macanudo go by and not do something just incredible, you know, as, as an example, and not to pick on them or anything, but like, that's, that's just one in a handful of stories that uh, general, like general as a company. And I even talked about this with Sean um, mostly off camera, but like they're at a bit of a crossroads now. So I feel like from, from my entire time in the industry, general and Altidus were basically neck and neck. They were right. doing a lot of the, very similar stuff. They had similar sure. brands. 
it's just like you know uh carrying on the cuban yeah. story carrying and, on the like, general yeah. general probably had at the you know at the time probably some of the cooler brands you know they bought la gloria they bought cao they bought uh Tarano. Mm-hmm. so they were they probably had like a little bit of an edge but then recently um i mean i love the inspirato line i love a lot of what ricky has been doing or or did um and then obviously cohiba has just been you know a huge huge turnaround with cohiba but there's not a lot of consistency across all of their brands like you're seeing now with Altidus. And I'm not just saying mm-hmm. that because they're our sister company, but what Rafael Nadal has brought to Altidus is just, you did not have a bigger Altidus naysayer than me. When I was working in the store and I was a fiery 25 year old, <laughs> oh my God, I wrote these things stink and it's the same things. It's always the same crap. I was, I, I would get it in set and listen and they'll they'll be the first ones to admit they had some pretty big stinkers i don't know if you remember the trinidad paradox oh or the H. Oh. they had some they had some pretty big stinkers and then right when rafael came i want to say the first thing that he released was the trinidad santiago which was good it wasn't amazing but it was good i'm like mm-hmm. okay this was like this is pretty good and then ever since then it has been off to the races yeah. with just about everything they've, they've released. What from, they've done with Henry Clay, H. Upman, that's the, Monte that's Cristo. That's the most impressive is, is, I mean, Monte Cristo, they've, they took Monte Cristo from being good to where it should be, which is it should be this kind of legendary, every release from Monte Cristo should be a big deal. It should be an awesome mm-hmm. thing. It should be, you know, celebrated and everything. But Monte Cristo already had a pretty good reputation. They were already huge sellers, like the Monte Cristo White and the Platinum and the Classic. What was more impressive is what they did, again, consistently with like their, their sub-brand. Yeah. What they did with Henry Clay, what they did with Trinidad, both you know, the two Trinidads they've released. What they did with... I considered H. Upman a sub-brand at the time, like you know, a couple of years ago, just because yeah. it wasn't... Except for the vintage Cameroon, I can't tell you another H. Upman. Maybe the 1844. The the Banker series. (laughs) I can't. I couldn't stay. And they came like, oh, the box looks like a gold bar. I'm like, get out of here with that. (laughs) That nonsense. I want to say H. Upman now might be my my favorite brands from Altos. Because the 175th is probably one of the greatest cigars I've ever had. The Hispaniola is amazing. The 1845 Añejo, I didn't really like the branding of it because it was kind of regular H. Upman branding. Like they didn't really do anything with the branding, but the cigar was great. And then this year with the uh, the Heritage, mm-hmm. I have never seen a bigger turnaround. Uh, Romeo, really bringing Romeo back. Um to you know, and, and finding its footing with the Reserva Real Nicaragua, the fiftieth that they did for us, um, you know, there there was a time where like Romeo had some elegance to it. There was elegant Romeos, and then they kind of lost that, and now they're finding that again. So overall, just I I, I want to say for the past couple of years, the most impressive work has been done by Alvarez. No, I, General, I, I agree. Yeah, General has had like big spikes in some of their line. So I think the Inspirado was a big, big turn. It was a big turn. 
Um, the Amazon uh, Basin series from Ricky was a big spike. But, and listen, one of the LaGloria's made our top 25. The Medio Tiempo LaGloria made our top 25, but LaGloria is not really what it used to be. Hoyo. Don't know what's really going on there. Yeah. Don't get me started on punch. And what <laughs> they're doing with that brand. And this is not, this is not even saying that they're like, they're making bad cigars. It's just, they're spotty in turn. Like, you know, like, like there's no consistency across what they're doing. Um, yeah. And the, the punch one, and it's, it's a shame because those are actually really good cigars, but the entire Chinese food lineup Really, really yeah how do you get from punch to chinese food i've always i've always wondered i wanted to ask that yeah and like you you own diesel and they're doing like they're doing like the sunday gravy thing with diesel like do that with diesel you don't do that with punch like that would be like making an, an h upman you know uh burger and fries like you don't do that <laughs> with, with these heritage brands you could come out with and people would buy it a 15 dollar you know, high end punch either made by yourself or like, you know, have, have AJ make it for you, you know, but like, and if you marketed it correctly and gave it that kind of market, it like the H Upman heritage that came out this year, like, you know, classy, you know, but still or updated. Market it like AJ did with the Ramon Ionis, what he did when he got the Ramon yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a top 25 cigar for you too. Yeah. Yeah, the Ramoniones. I think that's probably uh, AJ's best work. That's like under his flag, like under mm-hmm. his personal flag. I know there's there's some kind of deal that he has with General, but um, that's like considered one of AJ. Like you buy that. Yeah, it's an AJ brand. Yeah, it's an AJ, AJ brand, brand for sure. Uh, and I think it's his. I think it's the best AJ brand by by a decent margin too. Yeah, um, to be honest, I think he usually does his best work elsewhere. I mean, listen, the New World is great, and the Last Call, and um, San Latano, you know, won a lot of awards when it came out, but I really feel like his is it's Ramoniones and then kind of everything else in terms of his stuff. Um, but yeah, go back back to your point. I know I've been rambling here. Um, I don't know, you know, I, I guess they they're the big Macanudo was like the the vintage 2010 was like their anniversary esque thing, I guess, but. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what's going on over there. Um, and yeah. now with, with Ricky leaving, you know, and I don't know, is he just, I don't even know the story. Like, is he just retiring? Is he going somewhere else? Is he, you know, what, I don't know, even know what the deal well, there's is. Well, you know, there's rumors, uh, rumors abound in this industry, right? But uh, nothing, nothing concrete as of yet, but. What's the best you know, rumor you've heard? <laughs> uh, the best rumor that I've heard? Uh, like best as in like funniest or best as in. Best in like, like that would be wild if he did that. Uh, what do you about that? I don't want to get you in trouble if it's like if it's something crazy, but I'm just curious because I, I haven't heard anything like too off off the kilter like it's stuff like I I like I have a feel like I have a very I have a very healthy understanding that he's he's probably not done. Like there's there's yeah. like we haven't seen the last of him. Like I don't they're calling it a retirement, but I I don't I don't think he's done. I just don't. Yeah. I, It'd be, it'd be really strange to me, but I, I I like Justin Andrews. I think he's going to do, I, I think what he did with diesel. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I think he made diesel general's best brand, you know, like, like mover and shaker and stuff like, I mean, Cohiba has its own little, you know, Sean and Cohiba have their own little world and stuff in the series M, 
was really fantastic last year. I heard this one's even better and stuff like that. But um, I was a big fan of the Royale. Um, and I think Laurel does a great job with Macanudo, but the, you know, it's not on her shoulders too. It's not on Justin's. It's not on Sean's. You know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's on a, the it's it's and see that's also the thing is like you know they have these brand managers. Um, some are more involved in the cigar making process than others. Like Sean is pretty heavily involved. Ricky Ricky was the guy. He he, he was making those blends. I don't know how involved. I'm I'm sure Laurel is involved somewhat. I don't know to what extent. Um, Justin, I think is probably pretty heavily involved, but very much so, yeah. but at Altidus, it's Raphael. I mean, oh. Javier, you know, obviously, you know, is, is the boss when it comes to like blend where we're making, what we're making, what it's going to be called. The buck stops at one guy. Mm. Now the danger in that, and, you know, just in general, not at general, in general, um, <laughs> is that if that one guy sucks, you got a problem. Yeah. But whatever that one guy is doing, it's going to be consistent. And so, you know, Altidus has brand managers for Upman and Romeo and Monte Cristo. But in terms of like what those brands are doing, it's one guy calling the shots. If I'm sure there is one person kind of calling the shots overall at general, but you also have these like little fiefdoms going on. And like, like I said, some of them are really moving ahead. Like what Sean is doing or what Ricky did slash was doing. And then like, you know, like I said, what's going on with the glory. What's like, what's going on with Hoyo? What, you know, I, the, when I was younger, these were as big as anything else in their portfolio. Like Hoyo, what's going on with Partigas? Like the, you know, the, the Cortado this year was good. The Cortado was good. I'll give him that. But like the, the focus is off. Like Altonis has just been able to keep it clean across the board. Whereas general just seems like a, they're, 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 they're juggling a little bit with some of their stuff. And I think they just need to find a direction to go. Um, and, a, and a clear pathway for each brand and give each brand like an actual solid identity. Cause you mm-hmm. can't have like the, you can't have the punch crew Royale and then the freaking next egg to egg. the chop suey. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what is this? If, if Raphael came and said, Nick, smoke the cigar. It's the best cigar ever. And I smoked it. I'm like, that's amazing. What is it? He said, Oh, it's the Monte Cristo root beer. I'd be like, I'm quitting <laughs> somewhere else. Cause this is nonsense. Oh, I, I agree. But I think, like I said, I, I have a, I have a lot of faith in Justin. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's got, I think he's brilliant. I think he's hardworking. I think he, he's done. I mean, he did an incredible job with diesel and then with the split, cause there is a split now it's yeah the forge general and forged and stuff like yeah. that. I think that's going to help some of those brands that you mentioned, uh, like Boulevard, uh, was another one that got, didn't get mentioned, but like, uh, you know, Hoya and stuff like that. And, and, and there in LaGloria, I think we'll have a bounce back to under under the split. So it'll be interesting. But to the to the original question about like anniversaries and stuff, I mean, this was this was a you know, this was a big year for you guys. And this was a big project that you guys undertook the 50th anniversary. Now, obviously, you didn't come up with the idea of the 50th anniversary because, I mean, it, it happened. You know, yeah. JR's been making cigars longer than we've been alive combined, you know, and, and uh, they've been in the business uh for a half century, but this was a, this was a momentous occasion and you played a really big part 
in in making this a celebratory year and i mean what was it tw- it ended up being 12 12 releases oh god yeah i think it, i think it ended up being 12 was the total yeah 12 i mean and some of the most renowned i mean from the boutique from the the foundation the dunbarton tobacco and trust all the way to you know you guys had you know alec and bradley but also i mean there were some really I mean, you guys spaced the gamut with these 12 projects. I mean, it was really Davidoff made a 15th anniversary yeah. celebration. I mean, that's so we called in a lot of favors on this one. Um, but, you know, it was it was a big anniversary. I was actually um, I was I, I had the idea to do it. I, I'm going to be honest. It wasn't even my it was to me it's technically my idea, but uh, I was talking to um, a buddy of mine, Dane Devereaux. Who I don't know if you if you know if you uh, if you've ever heard of Dane, but Dane worked with us for a while at Jr. Then he worked for Altidus. Um, I was like their he was like their private label manager. Then he moved to Colorado and did some weird Colorado thing for a bit, and now he's working at Davidoff. I think also doing their private label stuff. But um, Dane's a good friend of mine, and we were talking that summer, so summer of 2020. And he was like, and he used to be a product merchant for us. Uh, a couple of years before that. So he had worked on, I think we had one or two releases for our 45th year anniversary. And it was a Davidoff, but it was one of those Davidoffs that they just kind of hand out where it's like the same blend and they're just putting a different label on it. And then Altidus did some weird thing for us where it was called, it was called like the JR 45 anniversary. And it was in like disco letters. This is like, I said, this was, this was pre Rafael Nadal. So this was right at the cusp of Altidus being weird. Um <laughs> Yeah, because that was that must have been so like 2016, 16, yeah, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that it got made in 2015. So yeah, this was this is way before um this is a couple years before Raphael started. And he had mentioned to me on a phone call, I was like, hey, I think it's uh I was talking to him and Ernesto uh Cranwinkle, who was at the time working for Altidus. And uh they mentioned, like, oh, it's it's JR's 50th anniversary this year. Are coming up in 2021. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right, it is. And he's like, yeah, you guys gonna do anything? And I'm like, I mean, they haven't told me anything, but I'm like, and then we just we were kind of BSing back and forth, and you know, they were talking to the Altidus guys. I'm like, oh, what if we got some like, like some like they, the Cinquenta had just come out, and the 175th had come out. So like, those are the ones we started talking about, and it was like, oh, what if we took like the 175th? but then we got a special size of it for this 50th. Oh, that'd be great. Tell Raphael. And then it kind of just snowballed and I, I came up with, you know, and, and there was a lot of people who had a lot of hands in, in making this happen. Um, but I kind of, we kind of pitched it, you know, to a, to the bosses like we should do like a crazy big thing this year. Now, five years ago at JR, they would have been like, no, our new team of bosses, our CEO, um, my two bosses, they all have like actual marketing backgrounds. You know, uh, our CEO, Davide Moro, was the VP of marketing for Nespresso. So he like the whole George Clooney campaign for Nespresso was his baby. Like that was his his thing. Oh, wow. Um, one of my bosses, uh, Sasha, used to work for Victoria's Secret and like iHeartRadio and like these these kind of companies. So when I said 50th anniversary, they were like, oh, this is gold. Like, this is a prime time for us to like push out a lot. You know, we could do a lot of crazy stuff. It's great for branding. So the first thing we did is our, our department worked up the logo. 
50th anniversary logo and they were like put that everywhere all over social change the logo on the website for the catalogs for the next year this is going to be the logo on the catalogs and then we compiled a list of manufacturers our product merchants were like you know we should include these kind of like jr favorites which is you know oliva drew estate um uh who else did they have davidoff was one like, you know i definitely wanted out to this and i'm like we should really plug into the boutique market because we do okay with them but not that these are gonna, you know not that that a, you know one limited edition is going to make a ton of money but it can bring eyes that maybe didn't know uh here it is right here yeah oh yeah it was a beautiful logo I have a nice uh, uh, quarter zip too that has that on it. It's one of my favorite things. Um, but using some of these boutique manufacturers, it can bring some of their customers to our site. And also maybe some of our customers who have never heard of these other brands before, it can give them a little bit of uh, an insight. So my boss is like, you know, like what's your wish list? And I'm like, well, if you want to have a guaranteed success, you need to have Steve Sokka. I'm like, and, and he was actually, I used the analytics from his previous releases in the pitch to them. Cause we have never done anything like this before. And any of this kind of like limited edition, like a, like a dojo release or anything like this, we have never done yeah. anything like it. We, we did 12. <laughs> so I had to pitch it to him and I'm, and I, so I basically pulled up, because it's not like it's not totally out there, but I pulled up all the dates of his releases that he had done with other stores. And then I would go on that store social media and be like, all right, when did they post that this was sold out? And every time it was, it was the next day. I think only one of them, it was like two days. And then I went to Cigar Dojo and I did the same thing. I'm like, all right, when did they, you know, when is the article or the social media post saying the dogma is for sale and then when is the post saying that it's sold out a couple days and so i use these as the pitch to to the company to be like these are viable like we can we can utilize these brands and what this 50 celebration was about it wasn't really about us it wasn't wasn't about me or the product merchants or the ceo what we wanted to celebrate was three things we wanted to celebrate our manufacturing partners who have been there with us for, for years and years, you know, all, all, everyone that we utilize, you know, these manufacturers, Oliva, you know, Davidoff, Altidus, uh, Drew Estate, all these guys, we wanted to thank them and show them appreciation because they are the heart and blood of the industry. Um, our company. So all the hardworking people behind the scenes, the creative team, the accountants, um, you know, we're actually, our 50th anniversary party is in a few weeks. We're doing a boat tour of, uh, of the Hudson um, for, our, for our team. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it was about them. And then most of all, it was for all of our customers. And so how do you celebrate with all of our customers when they all have different tastes? Well, you get one of everything. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of run the gambit on, on releases. And so we just went, you know, full bore with it we we just tried to get everybody and there was not one person that said no there, there was there was nobody that we contacted that wasn't involved in it. like everybody was like absolutely let us know what you need and they all 
did amazing. Um, and mm -hmm. so, and this, I'll, I'm going to use your platform as kind of an announcement. Uh, we're actually bringing back Mother Church from uh, from Crown Heads. Yes, so, uh, that'll be coming. I got to text John. Hopefully, end of May, early June. We're going to try to do something in the Nashville oh, CD sheesh. store. So yeah, we're we're going to bring back Mother Church. Oh, it's perfect. That's that's actually my one question was about this was. You answered it for me. I was like, you, you've got to figure out how to bring Mother Church. And I've told John this. I've told Miguel this. Mother Church was probably the best cigar that I smoked all last year. And it was absolutely sensational. Unbelievable. So it, I was like, it, it was the, the I, I, I couldn't put it higher in the rankings because nobody would believe that I wasn't just doing it because it was our 50th. Like I, I knew that I was going to get pushback that if I put this any higher in our top 25, people are just going to be like, you're just shilling because it's your own brand. It's a whole thing. So I think we put it at number 10. Oh, yeah. Okay, so um, but in terms of what I smoked the most of last no, year, you said that repeatedly. Yeah. It was, it was mother church by a mile. Like not, nothing was even remotely close. Kintsugi was a distant second. I smoked a lot of Kintsugi, but it was mother church. Um, that blend, it's, it's, it's perfectly tuned to, at least to my palate, medium body, a lot of flavor, but nothing crazy. I can smoke that cigar any time of day, eating or drinking anything. And it's going to just hit every single time. The marketing was great. And, and that's another, um, not to go off on another tangent. Another reason I think that the, the whole celebration was a success is we didn't have any ideas. We didn't tell anybody, oh, do a thing like this. They were like, oh, what do you want this thing to look like? And because we wanted, again, part of the celebration was putting the focus on, I, am, I, I swear to God, Bear, I am all about putting the focus on the manufacturers and the brand and the cigars. That's, the, that's what's important. So when these guys agreed to do this for us, and you can even ask John this, he's just like, oh, like, well, so like, what do you want? What do you want it to be? And I'm like, I want you to make the most crown heads thing you could possibly make. I'm like, I want you to make a brand that is all about you and just screams crown heads. And boy, did he. Yeah. Like it's the most Nashville Americana and, and it, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Um, and that's the same thing I told, you know, Nick and uh, Alec and Bradley uh, is I'm like, I'm like, just make the most you thing. And then they were, you know, they, they love, you know, for these kind of releases, it's, it's not a lot of money for these manufacturers, but it's a lot of fun. And so when you get, let them do something like no constraints, it's one thing if you go to them, like, Oh no, I want you to do a cigar, but I want it to be, you know, whatever Italian themed, or I want it to be about, you know, the history of JR. But when you just give them like, hey, listen, just do something awesome. They're going to give you like their best because now they get to really have fun with it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we got from everyone, from the Wagyu, the Aganorsa we did. We, we, we took the uh, the lunatic and we put it in the, um, the side, like a, like a, the, thinner, the thinner ring gauge. I think it was a six by 48. That sold out. That got a top 25 from, um, from somebody. Who gave that one a top 25? 
I think it was uh, Blind Man's Puff. They gave Blind both Man's mother, Puff. mother, both the church, church and before, yeah, and then and, and then Orsa. Um, the Oliva one, I I think that I think that one was a game changer because I actually think that that Melanio smoked way better. Um, and the same thing goes for the Aging Room. I think the Parejo rounded versions of both of those cigars smoke better than the originals. Um, and it's it's been pretty uh pretty well verified outside of just me like most people i've talked to that have no reason to give me a compliment are like no the 50th anniversary versions of those cigars are better than the standard versions even rafael for the aging room and and he he swore me to secrecy when he called me when he was working on the blend he's like don't tell anyone this is way better than the box press (laughs) um Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he, but I, I've been telling everyone that for the past year though. So like the secret's out, <laughs> but the, the, even those versions, the Davidoff was great. I mean, all of them, our JR ultimate, I actually, I got a, I swear to God, I got a phone call two days ago from Raphael saying, Hey, I'm sitting here with Javier, who's the big, big, you know, uh, head of all tobacco layer. And he's like, and we're smoking the JR ultimate. This is amazing. Can you tell us who made this? Because they, they weren't involved in, in that one because it's not an Altidus brand. And I'm like, AJ makes it. And he's like, I thought it was AJ. <laughs> but that's, and that cigar was like $8, you know? So everybody just like really brought their A game and it, it became such an awesome thing. And, I, and I'm, I'm so proud and happy. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was just a really, really cool uh, experience. What, a, what an achievement. Nick, seriously. I mean, sincerely, I mean, what an achievement. Um, I mean, bringing all these people together, getting them to buy in and, and deliver something you really unique uh, on, 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 on every single release. It's just unbelievable. And, and they deliver it and they delivered quickly and they delivered quickly during a pandemic. They, were, yeah. they had back orders on their own stuff. And these guys, I mean, we started having this conversation in August. We released the Romeo in February. You know, Mother Church was the next one. That was like early March. And like, we didn't even send them, we didn't even send a, a, a PO order in until like October. Like we, they got this stuff done quickly during the worst logistical time and cigar back orders coming out of the wazoo. And all these guys crushed it. I'm indebted to, I will work with these companies forever i will do anything that they want as a as a thank you for this because they really put on a show really did and that what a i mean i'm 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 so so personally excited everyone should be excited about the mother church coming back that 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 cigar is dynamite for john it's going to be dynamite for you guys for hopefully years to come if you guys can keep it rolling out it's just it's an incredible blend i'll send you some we should be getting them in a few weeks some uh some of the the bulk i'll send you some as a as a thank you for having me on the show (laughs) I won't stop you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, it kind of leads us into our, what I call our, our fun segments for the night. And uh, I mean, but hats off to you, Nick, what a great story. Um, and just thank you all around it. I mean, just an incredible job all your years at uh, JR's. I mean, just you're, you're crushing it. You're killing it. And uh, I know it's, it's, it's continuing to evolve. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where, you know, I saw where you guys started and, you know, I'm really excited to see where this goes in five years or so. So this is going to be really exciting. So, um, so our, our fun segment start with our, our, our one must go segment, Nick. So again, as a first time visitor here on the show, uh, it's a pretty simple concept. I'm going to give you three things and you got to, you got to kick one of them to the curb. So it's 
Right. Very simple concept. And as always, our One Must Go is always brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron line. So smoke once a day and start living united. So, uh, Nick, now, again, with this being our first conversation ever, there wasn't really a lot for me to go on. I know you like wrestling. I know you've gotten back into shoes. So I know you're a big Jordan guy and everything. So, But I thought, you know, what, what better thing uh, to kind of discuss or kick to the curb than, than when you, they can be often argument, argued about over and over again than food and specifically toppings of food. So it's mm. not just, uh, you know, just these iconic foods. So I, we're, we're going to do a triple header of the one must go. We're going to start with burgers. We're going to go to pizza and we're going to do hot dogs to okay. wrap it up. So I'm uh, these are all of these things. <laughs> fantastic. So these are the three toppings that you have to choose from. One's got to go. And you tell me why. Uh, so on our, let's start with the burger. Okay. So I could have gone cheese. I think cheese is a standout. So yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to leave cheese off. So we're going to go with the vegetables here. What's the veggies that, uh, that you like on your burger, which one's got to go. So we're going to start with pickle, tomato, or onion, onion on your burger onions got to go so all types of you know like not caramelized not, i mean you're you're done with the onion, well, the onion. You know, listen you know a specialty onion sure but i gotta have pickle and if we're talking just a standard like red onion or that you know just like a circle onion as opposed to a tomato i want the tomato now if you're gonna start throwing out caramelized onion well all right well now that's a that's a whole different thing uh but like if i'm going to, to mcdonald's I want, or, you know, or a burger joint, pickles and tomatoes are a must. It's got to be a good tomato. So I, so where I grew up, I mean, a Jersey tomato. That's what yes, I, well, I grew up, we, we grew tomatoes in our, in our backyard. So I had fresh garden tomatoes all the time, pretty much year round. And, um, that was, I mean, for a long time, I, I actually wouldn't even wouldn't put ketchup or any condiment on my burger because our tomatoes were so good. I would just, yeah put a huge thick tomato slice with cheese and that was my burger growing up and it was just delicious and pickles of course too um but um when i got to college <laughs> i found out tomatoes are good tomatoes are really hard to come by uh because i oh. ordered a burger at at the the at the i guess the school cafeteria whatever you want to call it the uh and I had, I was like, yeah, throw three tomatoes on there. And they were like white and gross. Oh. And it was just like, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it, it was just bad. People don't realize that like a good tomato actually has flavor. Like there it's, yeah. it, it shouldn't just be like this watery, like it, a good tomato will have like actual great flavor to it. Um, and those, I, 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 like I said, I got nothing against onions overall. Um, I'm Italian. Peppers and onions is, is a mainstay in most of my courses, but I think like just that like red onion on a burger, I'm like, you're, you're not serving a purpose. Pickles and tomatoes are bringing something to the table. You're, you're yeah. literally more of a garnish. Yes, absolutely. Notice we left lettuce off the table because lettuce doesn't belong on a burger either, in my opinion. Yeah. So like, like when I get a burger from like, if, if I'm going like a fancy place and they get like a big burger, and they load it with toppings. I do take the lettuce off already. I'll leave the onion and everything else on there. But like, like, what's the point of this lettuce? First of all, it brings yeah. you nutritional value. It's just getting in the way, and it's soaking up more of the juices that I want to eat. Yes, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. And then lettuce trap burgers are just an abomination. Oh Jesus! 
All right, so that was our burger. So let's move on to pizza here. All right, Nick. So here we go. We got this, and we went. I went meats. Okay. So you got you got the classic. We got pepperoni. Mm-hmm. We've got sausage. Okay, and bacon, which is a kind of a newer topping to pizza. Um, and and by contrast to the other two, so pepperoni, sausage, and bacon. One's got to go. Which one is? So most people out there are going to, are going to hate me for this, but I'm, I'm from the Northeast. Like we, we know pizza and as much as I love bacon, it's got, that's the one that's got to go. Now I, I love a chicken bacon ranch pizza. Don't get me wrong. But if we're talking about, Hey, for the, for the rest of your life, you can't have one of these. I can much easier, easier not have bacon on pizza than sausage or pepperoni. Where's the best? Uh, where's the best pizza? Where oh, you're at? You, you throw a stone in, in any direction, you're gonna hit a great pizzeria. Um, Palermo's is really good. Um, Godfather Pizza by by the office is really good. There's there's a ton of top notch pizzerias. Um, a lot of the uh, Angeloni's got a like an eight point eight bar stool rating. They do like a thinny thin crust. So there's there's so many good pizza places around here. It's ridiculous. So you're so you're a you're a tried and true New York style pizza guy like that's, I, that's I, I like New York like that's mostly what I eat but I actually prefer like more of a Naples style like you know like 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 a margarita more traditional like Italian style you know like like what I would get when I when I when I when I went to Italy um, fresher ingredients a little bit smaller a little bit thinner um, the tomatoes are a little bit fresher. Um, then just kind of like standard sauce. That's what I prefer. But in terms of like what I eat, a majority of is, yeah, just basically traditional, like New York style, you know, Joe's pizza. We, that's what we call it. Like, like traditional New York style, we just, we call it like, like a Joe's pizza. Cause every, every Joe's pizza, that's what they have. So um, next time you come to the DFW area, I got to take you to Connie Rosso. It's a, uh, uh, like Napoleon uh, Nepalese style pizza yeah. from Napoli. And uh, it's all oh, that they're, they're fantastic. They're absolutely so fantastic. Pizza has finally been able to be good elsewhere because they stopped trying to make New York style pizza. And they, and they started making like higher end pizza, which you can, you can actually make higher end pizza easier elsewhere than you can trying to copy New York style. So I thought well, it's everything. Of, it's everything. It's the dough. It's the water. You know, the water it's, is so especially from from. Here's the water debate: is that we have as good a pizza in New Jersey and bagels, but the the water in New York is better. There's there is nothing. Lo- I don't drink tap water. I always drink bottled water. Except I will drink New York City tap water all the time. New York city has the best water, I think in the country. I think it's like from an aquifer or like an aqueduct. It's like this whole thing from like up in the the upstate is where it comes down, but you can go to a bathroom in a bar in New York city and fill your cup up with water and it'll be the best tasting cleanest water you've ever had. So the water in the city is, is excellent. And that plays into it, but also we get the fresh ingredients where, you know, the New Jersey tomatoes are, are right here. You know, we're one of the biggest suppliers of tomatoes. So, you know, when things with the fresh mozzarella, like the people who know how to make that are all 
based in this area, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, you know, it's, it, it's going to be hard to like walk through Tennessee and find somebody making fresh mozzarella. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. No, now, I, the, I, places have gotten other States have they're they're coming up. They're getting it. They're starting to get it a little bit. I, I'm with you so far. I'm two for two on this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm ditching the onion on, on a burger over the other two, as long as it's a good tomato. Yeah. Uh, and I'm ditching the bacon, uh, not bacon period, just bacon on a pizza over yeah. traditional pepperoni and sauce. There's so many other sure. avenues for bacon. Where else am I going to eat pepperoni? Yeah. I mean, I, I can eat bacon in 10 other places. Well, Subway tried to make pepperoni a thing by putting it onto every single sub that they made for a while, which was which was laughable. Get me like, start. That, that place. <laughs> I'm going to. And this is this is my service announcement for everybody. And because this is a big, a big thing of mine. Don't ever get an Italian sandwich from any of these sandwich shops where it's like, oh, it's pepperoni and capicola and then ham. We don't eat ham like that. Like there's, you go over to they're not having boar's head honey ham. So <laughs> bullshit places that have just like a ham sandwich and they're calling it their Italian hero. It's nonsense. It's against everything I stand for. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So third Third, uh, third topic is the hot dog. Okay, so uh, I went a little different this time. Uh, this is kind of a, a collection of different different types of things here. So we've got mustard, we've got cheese, and we've got chili. So which one's got to go off your hot dog forevermore? Which one's got to go? I'm going to have to say the cheese. Interesting. Because yeah, I don't usually put either of them on. Usually for my hot dog, it's. So have you ever had like a New York City like style hot dog, like like a like a dirty mustard and crowd like out of the stand? No, I've I've never actually been to New York, but yeah, I mean I know the style. Like you know, you go to a cart and yeah, put kraut and sausage peppers and. So it's kraut, and then it's it's something. It's actually marketed. I don't know if you could buy it in stores out by you, but you can buy it in stores here. I think. Um, like Nathan's makes it, makes it, it comes in a jar and it's just called onions in sauce. That's literally, that's what it's called. And it's just like onions in a red sauce. I don't need, I guess it's tomato based. I have no idea. Usually <laughs> though, like, but you can just buy it at, at any supermarket here. Um, so usually when I'm making hot dogs at home or if I'm getting them from like a cart, uh, I'm doing mustard and then onions in sauce. Like that's, that's my hot dog. But if I'm going to get other stuff, I like I do like a chili dog, and I like a chili dog more than a cheese dog. I actually like the the flavor of mustard and chili. While it may seem oh, weird, yes, no, it's, it's not. Actually, it's one of those weird things like that really oh. works. That oh, really it's perfect. That it's like the sweetness from like if you get like a sweet little zesty chili, but then also like this the very mustardy taste of like a dark like a, like a spicy brown mustard. Well, it cuts it. It cuts that richness of the chili. It's perfect. Yeah. It ba- it's a perfectly balanced ingredient base. It's perfect. And I only use I only do spicy brown. I will not use like I don't think I've had plain yellow mustard in like twenty years. I I confess I do plain yellow mustard, but I'm much more towards the Dijon or the spicy brown or yeah I'm 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 that guy. I'm a I'm a big mustard fan though. Um, but uh, but you know I'm you do, you do honey way. mustard on a hot dog? No. See, see, like, no. isn't that, that's a weird thing, right? That's a weird thing. 
that's yeah. no, that's that's a little you, know, weird. you don't know why but it's like honey mustard's for chicken tenders and my son who will yep. you know do that yes yep. that, that's, that's and that's like the only place that like it belongs it's like chicken fingers <laughs> and honey mustard yeah no the um but no i'm with you this is this we're three for three man i i i'll ditch the cheese all day because i'd much rather have the chili and the chili mustard combination is absolutely perfect it's perfect it because when you're getting anytime you're putting cheese on a hot dog like it doesn't belong there in the first place. So it's always, a, it's either like a nacho cheese or you're melting like American craft singles <laughs> on it. It's like, it, it, it wasn't meant to be on there. So it's like, but it, so it's weird, but like chili is like, I don't know. It's, it's chili. It's good. So good. So good. Well, awesome. Well, that was our one must go segment. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and as always, it's brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So smoke once a day and start living united. And then our next segment is easily become one of my, uh, has become my favorite segment. I just love what uh, my guests bring to the table each week with this. And, uh, and this week, no doubt is also going to be fantastic. We're going to be raising awareness and spotlighting uh, a charity uh, and nonprofit that's close to uh, Nick and his family's heart. And this is, uh, this is something I'm really excited for you to talk about a little bit here, Nick. So I'll go ahead and introduce it. So, uh, you know, the point of this uh, segment is it's always just kind of, you know, spotlight nonprofits and charities of my guests choosing just, you know, to show what's what's really important to them and their families. And again, this is uh, this certainly brings it. So, uh, so Nick, you selected the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network um, and they do incredible work for families, uh, expectant families of who are expecting a Down syndrome child uh, after the birth, of course, support groups. I mean, the list of the list of resources. I was looking at their website earlier. I'm actually pretty. I'm, I was actually familiar with this with this charity, but I mean, the list. I in some of their resources. I mean, they have dad support groups, mom support groups, uh, different types of families. They even have a Spanish speaking mom support group as well. Um, they do retreats and I mean, they, they really give back to these families who are in, you know, in the situation of, you know, raising a child with down syndrome, certainly not what most of these parents were expecting, obviously when they were expecting uh, a child and uh, they do great work. My, my cousin, um, uh, God rest him was, uh, was had down syndrome and he was just a beautiful soul. Um, I know, I know it's your, your niece is actually uh, has down syndrome as well. So, but why, wh- obviously that's the, the reason why you picked this charity, uh, Nick, but what, uh, what has down syndrome diagnosis network done for you and your family? And why was it so important for you to talk about tonight? So my, uh, my sister, I, I asked her because uh, you know, the, the minute Vera was born. Um, so th- they knew, you know, from just from the, from the, the facial features, they, they, they ended up running tests and uh there's not a person I love more in this world than my ninety. She's my goddaughter, Vera. And she is just a beautiful, vibrant, fun, intelligent, just, just wonderful, wonderful uh, addition to my life. And as soon as um, she was born, I mean, my sister got out of the hospital. So my sister's a, a teacher. She's a, a very good. She was actually New Jersey teacher of the state, or, um, like number one state teacher. She got an award a couple of years ago. So she's very aware of like kids with needs and, and like, you know, what to do when this, you know, when something like this that's unexpected happens, whereas most of us just freak out and like, oh, what do we do now? 
Um, she knew like, all right, I knew she knows where to go and like get the right support and the right research and the right education so that they can, you know, you know, kind of properly do this, make sure everything is set, make sure that Vera has everything she needs, make sure that the family has all the kind of support that they need. And so she, I, she had worked with them, you know, right away. I don't know exactly specifically what they did for her. You know, my, my, my sister, you know, they're, they're relatively well, you know, they, they do all right financially. And also my sister being in education was pretty familiar with what had to be done. So they handled it amazingly. And they gave the, you know, they've given Vera like a, a beautiful home and she's doing awesome. She's thriving. Um, but not every family has that, you know, not mm-hmm. every family has even, even the awareness of what, what does down syndrome mean? You know, is there a life expectancy, you know, there, there are certain um, physical issues that are going to come with that. Like they started teaching Vera sign language to make it easier for her to communicate. They, she had to wear a, a helmet for a few months because there was, you know, some, some, you know, head shaping issues that they had to take care of. Not uh, every family has the resources to take care of these things or to educate themselves to properly take care of these children. And so it's important that, you know, uh, a charity like the, uh, um, Dad's Diagnosis Network comes into play to educate these families, to work with them, providing them whatever they whatever they need. And education is the biggest one that that I um, that I took away from it. I mean, they they have other resources too. They have financial resources, that, you know, and and that kind of stuff. But it's the education of what what does this really mean? What is it going to mean for the child's future? What's it going to mean for the family's future? And kind of laying that all out, setting expectations and how to beat these expectations, um, I think is really important. I have a vastly different outlook on Down syndrome now than I did four years ago. Like vastly, va- not that I had a negative connotation. It was more of an, I don't know. I don't know. Is she not going to go to school? Like, uh, does she need to be in a special class? Like, I, I had no idea. Uh, that kid's going to be a rock star she's going to be an absolute rock star. You know, she's, she's, I could, she's going to college. Like she's going to have a very fulfilling life. And it's because of charities like this that educate people and work with people that um, these kids have a chance and these families have a chance. So it's just, it's a, it's a very important, um, it's very important. It's very important work that they, that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So she's, so Vera's four now, right? Vera will be four in August. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So, and she's already learning sign language and stuff like that. Yeah, she, she, and she, she, her verbal skills are getting there. She's, she's, you know, getting a lot better. Obviously she's a little, a little behind, you know, where, you know, her brother Miles was when he was, you know, when he was three and a half. Um, but she's very smart. She's very intuitive and she's brave. Like she does not give a crap you know, about, she'll, she'll run upstairs. She'll run downstairs. She'll jump off of things. She has no fear at all. Um, but yeah, she says, she says, you know, uh, more or, you know, thank you. Um, when she wants to have more French fries and my sister says, no, my sister tells her no more in sign language. I don't know how to do it, but my sister tells her in sign language, like no more. Um, so they're learning to communicate with that because I think there is a chance of, uh, hearing issues, so that is, and and also it's the the verbal verbal communication is just going to take a little bit longer, but.
but for some reason she's picked up on doing some of the sign language a lot easier. So it's just been easier to communicate this way, at least at this stage, sure. at least from what I've seen. So you, you, you mentioned that you didn't, you had this, I'm going to use the word ignorance, but I mean, like you said, you didn't really have any experience with it before, you know, before she was born and, 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 you know, through your sister and through organizations like this, you, you, you've been able to learn a lot. Like I, I found that with my cousin, Joey specifically, it, it taught me a lot more. He taught me a lot more about myself than he ever taught me about him. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you feel that you get the same from Vera or? Absolutely. You, do you have a different experience? No, absolutely. She, I mean, anybody like that, you know, anybody with, um, I don't even want to call it a disability, but anybody with a uniqueness about them is going to, it teaches you more about you because you realize, I don't know, I don't know if you want to say prejudices, but just biases you might've had on something that you had no idea about, you know, opinions you might have had on something that you had a glancing look at before. And now when you take a deep dive into it, you realize how wrong you were. And again, I didn't have any negative biases. I just didn't know. And it was just like, I don't know, like it's whatever. Um, it was more so that like when I was told, you know, obviously when she was born, it was more of like I was scared. Like, what does this mean? She can't have a normal life. She's going to have a more normal life than I do. You know, like it's 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 all about learning they just learn differently and if you learn to teach them within the confines of how they learn they will thrive in that but it's not about like oh just put them in a standard class or the opposite is like no seclude them and they and only teach them like the most basic things like they're capable of so much more than i think mm-hmm. society really thinks that they are um, yeah. both intellectually and, and physically and, and emotionally being under, to understand complex emotions. Um, you just got to work with them at a slightly different pace and in a slightly different way. Uh, but she is, she's, I, I, I love her to death. And I was not a, uh, I love my nephew too, but I was not like a doting uncle. Like I was just more like, all right, when he's older, I'll take him to the batting cage and, you know, we'll watch like, you know, now we watch movies together and stuff. With Vera, though, I was and still am a total mush, like just a, a total sap. That's wonderful. I, I think it's I think it's very clear. I mean, just hearing hearing you talk about her on occasion, you know, I even mentioned like when we were talking about which you know which charity we were going to choose, and I felt kind of I still felt kind of weird because I was like, well, I've heard you mention her, you know, maybe this is something you want to bring in. You were like, you're like you're already like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what my five million and I are talking about yeah. is which way we want to go with this. And, and uh, it, it's, I think it's, I think it's apparent to anyone who's listened to you even mentioned, even in the brief moments that you have, uh, the, the, how she's enriched your life. Like, I think it's, I think it's that apparent. Um, and, and they have a way of doing that. Yeah, uh, she, she, everybody's, she could not walk into a room and not be the center of attention. And I don't mean that in like, she's doing some kind of performance. And so everyone's looking at her, but I'm like, Everyone no, it's a light. is, it's a everyone light. is taken, taken by her. She is so yeah. pleasant. Um, her smile is great. Like, you know, when, when she, she can be crying and like, I'll walk into a room and she'll see me and she'll just, you know, run over. And it's just, it, it, it makes you feel a way that like not many other things do. She's, she's this tattoo is for her. She's, she's the wildflower. So that's what I got. Oh, the, nice. Yeah. So my sister worked, there's another company and the name is mistake, uh, mistake uh, escaping me right now but they do specialized jewelry for um, 
families with kids with any with I, think, I don't think it's just Down syndrome with, with disabilities. And she'll do a special jewelry piece and then she'll she'll sell it and she'll name it after your child. So when they were picking out the one to do for Vera, my sister picked the wildflower because she's just such a free spirit and everything. And when I saw the design, I'm like, I want that. I want that on my arm. So I, uh, I got it immediately. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, so check out the, the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network. And if you feel called to, to donate, please do. Um, and with, as with always, uh, with all of my guests, Nick, um, my, my wife and I, when we started this, this project uh, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, we launched it every week. We were spotlighting these charities of different, different choices and stuff. My, my wife and I have, uh, pledged to donate a, a small amount to each one. So uh, later tonight, we'll be donating a small amount uh, to the, diagno- uh, the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network in, in your family's honor, in Vera's honor. So, that, Wow, that's, I got to tell my sister tomorrow. That, that means a lot, Bear. Thank you so much. Well, no, thank you. Um, like, you know, they, they ch- children in general, I have two, I have two boys and um, I'm very, very blessed to have them um, in my life. And their um, children are light, but yeah. there's there's something very, very, very special about the light that, that children with down syndrome bring. It's, it's, it's there, unless you spend time with them, you, 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 you don't understand it. And that's why I think organizations like these are, are fantastic because they can, they can spread that light, you know, as, as sappy as that sounds, you know, they can spread that light and, and really, and really get people to understand what, what beautiful souls these, these, these people are and, and the contribution they can make is just as great if not greater than what you and i will do in our lifetime probably listen, <laughs> like, like it's like i said i'm, I'm a, such a sap now like if the me of six years ago saw the me now he would kick my ass for being like a wimp but <laughs> he would be very wrong like it's it the how she how she has changed i mean listen my dad is just you know older he's an attorney you know old guy from new york and he's kind of just ah what do you want that kind of guy you should see him when she comes into a room, you know, you, he couldn't be a happier man. She just, she has that ability with people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm very excited to, uh, to watch her grow up. It's, it's going to be a treat. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Well, check out the down syndrome uh, diagnosis network. I put the link in the chat. The link will also be on the, uh, the show notes as well as a, a opportunity to donate. If you feel called, Small or big amount, every little bit counts to organizations like these. Uh, and the education that Nick mentioned is just off the charts. This organization, do your research, check it out. I mean, the programs they've got, the retreats they've got, they're doing so much for families um, and for the children. And um, and the and it's just a, it's it's an incredible organization. So check it out. Um, that leads us into uh, so we've got two more questions for you tonight, Nick. And I really do appreciate you staying up way past your bedtime, as you mentioned. Right. We, we, st- we started past your bedtime, so uh, maybe uh, maybe the marathon training will will start a ne- another day later. But uh, uh, but uh, definitely want to go into our, our our solitude moment. So this was a segment that I kind of came up with because cigars are very communal. We talk about we talked a lot about this in the first as when we were getting to know you and how you know. The, even the, the redesign of the studio was meant to bring this community part of it. And they are very community based. Um, but there are always those, those one moments, those, 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 they're very few and fleeting because most of, most of us smoke as a social thing. Um, but there's that moment of solitude 
with a cigar that can be a memory that lasts a lifetime. Do you have one of those memories, Nick? It was just you and just the cigar. Where were you? What, what was the cigar? What was the moment about? Do you have one of those moments? Oh, sure I do. Um, okay. So I was with some friends and a buddy of mine a few weeks before said, Hey, I'm at the, he wouldn't tell me where like, I'm at the special cigar store. Um, I think he ended up, he was at Holtz. Uh, and he's like, is there some kind of like, I know you said you like Arturo Fuente. Is there some kind of like Opus X or some rare Fuente that you have always wanted to try? And I'm like, yeah, the, the 13. I'm like, that's just, I've always seen it on Instagram and I've never found one before the forbidden 13. He's like, okay, thanks. And then a few weeks later, he, uh, when I saw him, he's like, Hey, I've been keeping this in my humidor and I got you one. He's like, don't worry about paying me. He's like, it's whatever. But you know, I had given him so many cigars that he wanted to give me this as a treat. And he's like, and you don't need to smoke it now. And then one day after work, I just went over to the lounge and it's back when I was drinking bourbon and I got like a big old glass. I might even got, I think I got a Manhattan and I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and drink a couple Manhattans and smoke this thing. And it was just like the stars aligned. It was just this perfect combination of like the cigar was great. Was it? I'm not even. It wasn't the best cigar I ever had, but it, like that. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about the. It was about like I checked off a big bucket list thing, and it was just that. Per, like it was a spring day. And it was like five thirty, so it was like still warm. It was just a perfect scenario um, with the perfect drink and. I smoked that thing down to the nub and I enjoyed every, I don't, I don't think I looked at my phone. I think I just sat there by myself in the lounge and smoked a cigar down to ash. Um, it was, it was a solid moment. Solid. It's a core memory. That's beautiful. That's awesome. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Like I said, this is a very communal thing and stuff, but there's like, everyone has that one, that one or two yeah. or three moments, which is like it, time suspends itself, which is, Fitting for a Fuente, right? You know, can't, yeah. hush, can't rush the hands of time, yeah. right? Well, I find that some of my best cigar memories are with other people, but you don't really focus on the cigar then. You're like, you're like, oh, I remember having so much fun with my friends and we were drinking, we were hanging out, smoking cigars, but I'm not, I'm not usually paying attention to the cigar. I was paying attention to the cigar when I had the Forbidden 13. It was just, it was me, me and that cigar were on a date and I was taking her home. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So I know with COVID that guys that prevented you to do a lot of travel and a lot of things in the past couple of years and stuff like that. I know you weren't at this past year's PCA. Will you be making a return to PCA this year? So that is yet to be determined. Um, can't get too much into it, but I think everyone, everyone is pretty much aware of the, sure. The issues that um, a lot of companies have with the PCA. I'm, I'm not going to speak on it. I don't, I don't know if we're going yet, but that doesn't mean we're not traveling. Uh, I will be at um, the Texas Cigar Festival in a few weeks in Houston. Um, I will be in Nashville at some point for the Mother Church. You know, when we want to do an event with that. Um, and uh, we're going to try to do uh, some factory tours this year too, to get some good content. So like, we're going to be Beautiful. making some moves. Yeah. Beautiful. Fantastic. 
Well, I, I really enjoyed your your PCA interviews in the past, so I, I'm selfishly hoping you can make it out. Love to love to see you, of course, yeah. and meet you in person, and then also uh, to see some of that great content that you've always produced and everything. So, um, which uh, is there any factories in line uh, to be the first couple or? So the first one we want to do is Altidus has just re, redone their factory. So they mm-hmm. just built like this big addition, like this is going to be the new factory. Um, and they have like this, these murals painted on the walls and, and all this stuff. So like that's that's the main one because, you know, we can it's basically our factory. So we can spend as much time there and, and film what we want. The next one I really want to get to is I, I've, I've never been to Chateau Fuente. And You're beautiful. I have to, you know, I have to before I, uh, uh, I want to stick to the DR. Um, I love going to Nicaragua. Nicaragua is great, but it's a lot of travel. You know, it's a, it's a long plane ride and then like a three hour car ride. And then on a good day, (laughs) on a good day. And then the hotel situation is always weird. If you don't get into, I don't even remember what the the hex, if you don't get into the hex, you got to stay in some pretty shanty hotel. It's just, it's a, it's a lot going on. Whereas, the DR, like everything's a resort. Even the cheapest place is like a five-star resort. Um, and also I have I haven't spent that much time in the DR. I've been to the old Altidus factory once before I even worked in corporate. Um, I have never been to the Davidoff factory, General's factory, um, Lilo Gomez. Like I've never been to, uh, so I want to explore the Dominican. Um, and get some really good content there. Uh, I, I've been to most of like the most of the major Nicaraguan ones. So like I actually want to explore the DR where some of these, you know, these are these are foundational brands for and like you know my personal cigar history. You know, LFD, Fuente, General, like these are the brands that built my palate. You know, when I was 22, 23 years old. So it's important to me to get out there and, and see you know see that history and that and those processes. Yeah, we could talk a little bit more offline about this, but uh, that'll that'll be, I'm I'm you will have a hell of a time, and it'll be fantastic once you get there, and it'll be I promise you it'll be more it'll be better than what you're expecting in your mind, guaranteed, oh, yeah. guaranteed. Well, that brings us to our last question of the night, and as always, it is oh is our curveball segment, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust uh, curveball segment. In fact, fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Count it. Seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Saka. So, uh, Nick, I did know one one thing in particular about you. You're 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 a wrestling fan, WWE, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So yeah. So um, uh, my my brother is a, is a, is the big wrestling fan. I'm more of a UFC fan, but he has gotten me into wrestling uh, in the past couple of years. Now is so, he the is he the contact that has all the figurines or is that another friend of yours? That's that's uh, his. That's my brother's friend, Bud. Okay. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I, I I remember yeah. hearing about that, and uh, um, I'm a big collector of things outside of cigars too. Uh, not figurines, um, but uh, but uh, that uh, that caught my ear. So this was uh, this was my curveball segment for you. So let's focus on. I know you're a big UFC guy, but focusing on the world of wrestling. So you have to, there's three, there's three people and you can pick anyone from history alive, dead, doesn't matter in, in the world of wrestling. Who would you partner with? Who would you would want to beat in the ring and who would you be willing to lose to? Uh, those are the three ones. So who would you want to partner with? Who would you absolutely just want to demolish in the ring? And who would you concede a really great defeat to? So <clears throat> I would want to partner 
with hmm i gotta i gotta give me a minute because like my brother and his friends are going to see this and they're going to judge me on my answer (laughs) so i would want to partner with i always really like triple h man i really like triple h he was badass he was jacked he did the spit with the water um i would want to partner with triple h who would i want to beat I kind of want to beat Brock Lesnar. <laughs> uh, I know he's amazing There's... and he was a UFC fighter too, but he broke Undertaker's unbeaten streak at WrestleMania. And that always kind of bothered me. Okay. So I want to, I would want to beat Brock Lesnar and I would probably want to partner either with hmm, I, 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 Stone Cold. You got to, you got to partner with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. Like he's a legend. He, so he you would lo- so lose to Triple H, partner yeah. with Steve, uh, Steve Austin, and you you would want to beat Brock Lesnar. See, I'd want to beat the shit out of John Cena, man. Uh, that's just <laughs> that's just yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's become a really good actor. I actually have more respect, yeah. respect for him now as an actor than I did when he was like. When yeah, he, he seems like he seems happened. like a good like he seems like an okay dude. I don't know, just him in the ring, his persona that he had, it just it just bothered yeah, it was me. Like, it was like the like the like the fresh prince kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to rap for the kids about the military or something like whatever he was, whatever his thing was. <laughs> well, and the whole handshake thing, like yeah. I just didn't, I was like, that's really stupid. I will like, say the, just... the memes of, of him, like that you can't see him are still going strong. And I find that hilarious. <laughs> the John Cena memes are still great. I'm surprised you didn't pick the rock. He's such an icon. Eh, he's too much. Like, I, I love the rock, but I'm also like uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not enough, enough with what the rock's cooking you're you're done you're, you're not done. that great at everything you're just really jacked like everything about you if you lost 50 pounds tomorrow like you're not this guy anymore like you're not super famous <laughs> calm down on on pretending you're, you're a god and we should vote you in as president you're just a, a really jacked guy who is in movies <laughs> so but he was a good wrestler but he never like, um, yeah, he never really, really did it for me. Stone Cold was always my guy. Like he was such a pop culture phenomenon when I was younger. And then seeing him come out at WrestleMania this year was like so cool. And he has a you know, crazy story. He broke his neck and came back and the whole thing. Uh, Triple H was always just really cool. And I, and I, not that I take inspiration from him, but like his transition from, you know, frontline star to kind of back end management kind of like not that i'm managing but like going from just like the youtube guy to actually you know doing projects and everything uh i like that and then yeah brock like listen ultimate like behemoth of a man ufc champion ncaa champion wrestlemania uh you know champion you have wwe raw and smackdown champion at one point but when he he came back to wrestlemania after being in the ufc and then he was the guy to beat Undertaker. You couldn't give it to somebody who had just been in the WWE for a while. You couldn't give it to a Triple H or like a Shawn Michaels. Somebody who was just there. You know, you just gave it to, I feel like they just kind of gave it to Brock Lesnar. But I don't know. Which is my opinion. There you go. Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough uh, for all the time that you gave me tonight. What an amazing conversation this has been. I've really enjoyed this, uh, getting to know you and uh, exploring your story and, and your journey in this industry. And uh, again, hats off to the work that you're doing at JR's. Uh, just just incredible stuff, great content. And uh, 
and uh, always finding the finding the great conversation just like uh, hopefully we do here every week uh, thank so you absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me this was awesome thank you so much so for everyone out there really appreciate all of your uh, time and staying up late with us as well and uh, as always you can find all of our content on our facebook page Elosa fumar you can also check out our youtube channel Elosa fumar don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're listening to us later wherever you listen to podcasts whether that be on apple podcast spotify google play podbean or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts don't for sh- be sure to hit your download subscribe and review button if you already are a subscriber do me a favor hit the unsubscribe button but please don't forget to hit resubscribe because that helps my numbers and helps me get great guests like nick here uh, to come back whenever I need to uh, need him to so I uh, really do appreciate that uh, this was our 205th take 205 of these I can't believe it uh, 205th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel Texas as always I'm your host Barry Duplissy he's Nick Labretti and guess what everybody we'll see you next time